0: my fellow Westorians. Welcome back to another edition of Valar us for the World of Ice and Fire, where we take topics from the world book and expand them and include information from all the other books. And sometimes with lots of real world influence and discussion... But not today, actually. We had a lot of real-world influence last week with ET and China. This week, we have almost none. It's almost all A Song of Ice and Fire topics, partly because, well, the Stepstones, what matters so much about the Stepstones is where they are, not what they are, but we'll, we'll get into that in more detail during the episode. Do you have some sort of themed beverage for today, Sean? Do you have a, a drink with lots of stuff in it, like rocks, like bits, like something you can walk on? I don't know. What's a Stepstone-based beverage? I don't really know how to this is red
1: sand (laughs) i'm drinking red uh, no not really (laughs) (laughs) those look like beets is that beet juice (laughs) it probably has beet juice in it it's the rainbow machine naked drink mixed with strawberry kiwi sparkling ice water mountain mountain dew i think that's it okay yeah And it's really refreshing. (laughs) Oh, no. Peach Mango Bang. That was the other one. How could you forget (laughs) that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, that that sounds less strange, actually, than some of the other ones you've had. (laughs) I might actually like that one. I would at least try it, but I can't because you're in Denver and we're in Roswell. That's too far away.
1: Maybe for Dragon
0: Con, I'll whip it up. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. All right, folks. So a shout out to our good friend Nina for her assistance with notes. She has a really interesting blog post. She got a question about the slave ships that left Hardhome, Goodheart and Elephant. Goodheart went to Bravos, and Elephant went through the Stepstones with its slaves and it was not well seaworthy. It's barely seaworthy. So with all the piracy and everything in the stepstones, there's a chance that they don't make it through and get back to lease, which would mean they either the slaves are either taken by people on the stepstones or captured there or they're shipwrecked there, and that means Danny could eventually encounter them and so that's the question is what will Danny do? It's also a way for Danny to find out that slavery is happening in the north in the far beyond the wall that is, if lycene ships are taking slaves beyond the wall well Danny's Got strong feelings on slavery, doesn't she? (laughs) So it's a really interesting thing that could be one of the reasons that gets her to go north in the first place, rather than rumors of fantastical ice creatures, which she may dismiss like almost everybody else. Slavery, though, that's tangible and understandable and real and something she's encountered plenty of times. She won't won't take a lot of convincing to believe, well, is that really happening? So it's a particularly on-topic for us, anyway, as far as a blog post on Nina's thing, it's, it actually lines up really well with what we're talking about today. So check that out, goodqueenally.tumblr.com, with one L in Alley.
1: It sparks a thought on me, by the way. Danny has strong feelings about a lot of things. Yeah. She's already spread thin. Like, there's other places she knows there's slavery, but she can't be everywhere all at once. So- That's true. It, it is a good way maybe to tie in or give her extra motivation to get the Westeros, but, but also I think Part of her, I don't know, character art plotline is that she just can't do everything. You
0: know? Yeah, that's true. You're right. Like she, she wants to do it all, but she and maybe is isn't doesn't have the experience or life experience to realize how much she can handle. But you, know, it's very heroic for her to try to take on as much as she can. So not a criticism, but like a kind of a tr- makes her more of a tragic figure, I suppose. As usual, you all can submit live questions or questions in advance you can do that through any of our social media platforms that we're active on. Discord, Facebook, Twitter, send us emails, and of course, Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, a lot of y'all are supporters, and we appreciate that. We, we've opened up a second way to support. If you, you will begin seeing episodes on your feed with a dollar sign on them, those are bonus episodes. If you're already a patron, you've already got those. So you can ignore them if you see them in another feed. You'll recognize them by their title anyway, so you probably wouldn't be confused. But I wanted to clarify just to be sure. So it's another way to sign up without going to Patreon, and you get all the most of the same benefits. The most important being the bonus episodes. That's the thing people want the most of. So that's the thing that we've uh, narrowed it down for. So it, especially if you already have a Spotify subscription, you can just have it all. everything be on one bill. And that might be appealing to some of y'all. In other words... It's not a change, really, so much as it's the second way to uh, support us through different platform. Pretty straightforward, but let's get going. Our first matter of business today is the trivia question. Who was dubbed the hero of the Stepstones? The hero of the Stepstones. Answer, as usual, at the end. To start, this episode is in part a follow-up on our Ancient Dorne episode, where we discussed the breaking of the arm. The Stepstones were, of course, the geological topographical result of that. But it took many, many centuries or eons for that to become what it is now. So today, in today's episode, we've got pirates like Salador San and the Lord of the Waters, Orain Waters. And we've got the Golden Company. We've got the Rhoynar. We've got Greyjoys. We've got the rogue Prince Damon Targaryen on TV known as Matt Damon. And we've got wars and politics and battles and intrigue. The Game of Thrones has played out on the Stepstones many times in a variety of ways, but in an unusual way, because it's usually from afar. It's usually fighting over land for the control of that area rather than for the land itself. If you look at the map, you can see where the arm was. It connects Dorne through the broken arm to what's now the disputed lands. And it's fitting that the disputed lands are so close by. These would be called the disputed islands if they weren't called the Stepstones, but the disputed lands are only fought over by powers and Essos. It's, it's a terrible thing. I'm not trying to downplay it, but one of the many things that makes the region unique and the stories surrounding it so compelling is that it's the Stepstones that is, is fought over by Essos and Westeros. And there's no other region that I could think of that has that quality. Not one, no other region that's been fought over by Essos and, and Westeros for so long without anyone ever really winning, <laughs> especially throw that in there. It makes it even more unique. So what do you think, Sean? A, a couple of thoughts I've got to share. One, R. A. Waters alleged
1: pirate, right? Yeah, like, we, that's just a guess <laughs> at this point.
0: We don't know. It's a strong yeah. <laughs> guess. Seems not unlikely, but yeah, it could go a lot of ways. And maybe he's only a pirate for a little while before he joins with one of the other big powers or something like that. And yeah.
1: I also wanted to point out that the stepstones There's not like an exact chapter in the book about them. It's just peppered throughout, like a lot of other topics we're we're attacking. So I think, one, I think that's generally worth noting. But two, it also, what I'm pulling out of it is that, as you said, there's not a solid real world parallel. There's not, I I feel like I can stretch to like, maybe at some point, maybe like the Greek isles across the Mediterranean might've been like them, or maybe, I don't know, like the the Puerto Rico some of the islands and like off the coast of America at some point when there was more conflict in that area or but but there's not like a or maybe the Philippines in Asia I, I'm not as knowledgeable about some of those histories so it's even harder for me to draw the parallels but I still feel like I'm stretching to even consider those so yeah because uh, th- those
0: places are all important or populated but they don't have this sort of constantly fought over like control of shipping lanes like there's definitely areas in the world where we'd say shipping is is important and control of that is important like Say the English Channel or the uh, gates yeah. of the Mediterranean or the Black Sea, some like really big spots where there's like one way in and one way out. But those and don't have a lot those of traffic. Are, yeah, those are mostly just waterways. They don't have like the islands in between them that
1: and sometimes surrounded by large powers in conflict with each other that maybe sometimes play out in these little spots. Yeah. Also, uh what's the word um Safe havens or hot spots for pirates. Yeah, you know? that's, that's, there's a for, lot of general people. things that all hit, but no, no clear, obvious, definitive ones.
0: Yeah. And like, for example, our, when we talk about the broken arm, we compared it to the Bering Strait. Because it slowly sank underwater, and there's like populations of people that stay there. But that's not a huge shipping line. Like no one, no one yeah. really cares about the Bering Sea as far as national powers. I mean, people who live there or, or scientists care, but it's not like no one's fought over them viciously. Like there's been political wrangling over them, but yeah, there no one sent like warships there to fight over. Them. <laughs> yeah. There aren't yeah. pirates hiding out there. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. There's there's only parts of this we can compare to the real world. So that's part of why there is less real-world comparisons this time. So let's let's get right into it. The stepstones, it's the former connection between Essos and Westeros what would be an extremely vital overland trade and travel route is more like a broken bridge. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't use a partly broken bridge. It's either all the way there or I'm not using <laughs> it. <laughs> I think that's definitely going to be true for a lot of other people Boring. Well. <laughs> <laughs> if the step zones were still a land bridge, most of the free cities wouldn't have sea access, or they wouldn't have been built in the first place, probably, or they would have been built in different places. Regardless, arguably, the sea lanes that were formed by the destruction of the land bridge are probably more important than the land bridge ever was or could have been. The loss of this singular land connection, somewhat ironically, created a huge number of seaborne connections. Some of which we discussed most recently with Et, where we pointed out trade goes from the free cities all the way to those far eastern ports. But also with Valyria, and Sarnor, and Ashai, and other places we've yet to hone in on, and do specific episodes on. And it's not just that the sea lanes running through the Stepstones are one of the busiest areas in the world for ships and thus trade. Now we don't have any stats on that but it might be the busiest shipping region in the world let's explain why if you're south of the stepstones you have to pass through it if you want to go to king's landing duskendale storm's end gulltown anywhere in the Vale, dragonstone driftmark Pentos, bravos white harbor wall anything along the far northeast like lorath or ib or all the way to like nefer likewise if you're on the north side of the stepstones if you want to go to Old Town or Lannisport, or if you want to go to Lee's or Volantis or the Summer Isles or the Basilisk Isles or Carth or Slaver's Bay, ET, Lang, Morak, Ashai, et cetera, one of the, ty- the stepstones is Tyrosh. So if you want to go there, well, you clearly have to go into there. That's the furthest east of the stepstones. So given that none of the places I named in Group A can reach any of the places in Group B by C, I mean, there are some land routes, unless they cross through the stepstones, <laughs> that's the only way. You can see why it's a pretty confident guess that this is an extremely high traffic area, if not the highest. Nina says, in that sense, you can compare the Stepstones to Karth. The source of Karth's wealth is the fact that it controls the Jade Gates, thus overseeing trade from the Summer Sea to the Jade Sea. But where Karth became a powerful city-state because of this wealth, the Stepstones have never coalesced into a powerful unified state. So keep that in mind whenever we tackle Karth as a topic of choice. Karth's control stems from its strength on the continent, though. They exert dominance over the nearby Isle of Morak, which forms the lower half of the Jade Gates. They, Karth itself, is not an island nation. Consider the Arbor, which is, although it's part of Westeros, at one point it was independent. It is a huge island surrounded by smaller ones. Surely in older times, those smaller islands were also the haunt of pirates, as they are again now, as of the Forsaken chapter with Euron crowned king in the seastone chair and unleashing his ironborn all over the place. But the state of affairs for most of the Arbor's existence in modern times, if not all times, is that the Arbor just overwhelms everything around it. Any of the little pirates there were just taken over, cleaned out, or whatever. That's not how it works in the Stepstones, because there isn't one larger, dominant central island like the Arbor is for its region. Bloodstone is the largest of the Stepstones, but it's not that much bigger than the second nor the third. So none of them really dominate the others from a natural standpoint. It's like a, uh, a parody, you would, you would say, perhaps. Not as in a joke, but, you know, <laughs> relative equal, yeah. <laughs> Pair-ity, not pair-o-d. Uh-huh. So all this chaos, all this difficulty in establishing order, all these hiding places, all these places hard to reach except by ship, which in turn, of course, makes it extremely popular for pirates. And this is where it differs from the Iron Isles, which have more strength and cohesion overall, but they have a religious prohibition on fighting each other. It's not, it's broken not so infrequently. But for the most part, ironborn do turn their violence on the outside world, not on each other, especially when they have a strong leader, like Euron. And the amount of wealth flowing through the stepstones is much greater than the Isles, right? No one sails through the iron Isles on their trade routes when the ironborn are in a state of piracy. There certainly have been times when it's safe to pass through there.
1: Even when it sits, there's not as much motivation. It doesn't go to as many places, like you said. It's not as central to the traffic of the world. You know?
0: Yeah, it's it's relatively remote. Compa- I mean, the people on the coast, west coast of Westeros might disagree with that, <laughs> having been ravaged <laughs> by them many times. But to at most of the world, the Ironborn are pretty remote. People would avoid the stepstones if they could, <laughs> right? Just like the Iron Isles, they would avoid it if they could, but they just can't. You have to pass through the stepstones. So... Like I said, the Isles are unified by culture, especially religion and being a part of the kingdom of the Iron Throne. And they're just a lot bigger than the Stepstones. They're more populous. But the Stepstones don't have any of that unifying anything. Locations, all they have in common. The common folk of the region aren't well documented, which is too bad. It would be interesting to, to learn about that. But also, there aren't very many of them. <laughs> it's not a very hospitable place to live. There's not a lot of farmland. It's powerful and valuable but not because it's a good place to live. It's the location, 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 like a business (laughs) smack in the middle, ruled by pirates, sell sales, and the occasional Targaryen. Of course, this is a fascinating and vital place that has seen a lot of blood spilled and ships sent to the bottom of the narrow sea. So let's attack it from a lot of different angles as if we were trying to clean out the pirates ourselves.
1: You know, I wanted to throw out there that some of the things you were naming just now, we're reminding me a little bit of Hawaii, oh. that it is a pretty key location-wise as you go across the, the Pacific Ocean between the continents, and it, it's not a particular powerhouse, not a lot of farmland, but it's also not a whole lot of traffic because it's in the wide ocean and not like quite in the middle of things. But
0: That's a good point, yeah. The first mention, let's get to that. We love to mention, uh, to bring up the first time something is, ever comes up in one of the books. So we'll start with the Song of Ice and Fire for this one. This is a Storm of Swords Tyrion 3.
1: The eunuch drew a parchment from his sleeve. A kraken has been seen off the fingers, he yelled. Not a great joy, mind you, a true kraken. It attacked an Ibanez whaler and pulled it under. There is fighting on the step zones, and a new war between Tyrush and Lys it seems likely. Both hope to win Mir as an ally. Sailors back from the Jade Sea report that a three headed dragon has hatched in Karth. And is the wonder of the city.
0: And Tywin interrupts him there and says, I don't care about Krakens or Dragons, no matter how many heads they have. I'm like, Wait, you don't? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me, Tywin?
1: there's another I think what he really means is he doesn't care about rumors. Yeah,
0: you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> but it's it's a yeah, it's another example of George's interrupting device where something cool is being yeah. said and, and someone else is like, get on with it. And we're like, wait, he was getting on with it. That was
2: cool.
0: <laughs> And But who's fighting in the Stepstones? That's not exactly a scandalous rumor. It's a common thing, but it isn't specified. But a new war between Tyrosh and Lys and Myr, or with Mir involved, is extremely common for the Stepstones. Those three especially, Tyrosh, Lys and Myr, have fought over the Stepstones individually or as allies against someone else. It's just over the period of time, there's been a lot of different people ruling those cities. Circumstances have changed a lot. And it's just been a mishmash of different scenarios and and outcomes.
1: I got to say real quick, just thinking about that quote and Taiwan's reaction, we talk a lot about, especially in this World of Ice and Fire book, something is said that we happen to know is not true, that the person writing thinks is. And so it makes us suspicious of other things that they think, right? Same thing here, like we can see how Taiwan might blow off these crazy, fantastic rumors, but we happen to know the thing about dragons is true. We <laughs> happen to know, so it makes us wonder: Are these? Was there really a kraken that pulled a ship down? You know. Yeah,
0: and, and of course, there's lots of mentions of krakens. We've got, in fact, we've got another one close to the end of this episode. So, this, fear not, folks! Krakens will rise again. <laughs> Nina says, could be an either a proxy or an actual conflict in that war between Tyrosh and Lys. Maybe Lys is hoping to goad Tyrosh into declaring war by attacking its neighboring islands or having them attacked. Or maybe Tyrosh or Tyroshi sponsored pirates preying on lysine ships passing through. That's a good theory. I mean, what Nina's basing that on is, yeah, these political wrangling people try to trick each other and bring each other to the war or, like, false flag attacks or things like that. And that we're allying with pirates and having those pirates act as a proxy saying like, I'm going to bribe these pirates to attack our enemies, but they're not going, no one's going to know that it was us and that's going to start a war. And then we're going to come in and, and be like, Hey, this war is unjust, you know, <laughs> and something mm-hmm. like that. And just any kind of underhanded scenario, you can dream up of one side, one city tricking another into getting involved. has probably happened or something like it has happened. So that's why I call it like the Game of Thrones played out on the Stepstones because these are very familiar tactics. Even if we don't know specifically which ones are used at which specific time, we know they're happening (laughs) from time to time. So that's pretty neat. Now, the next quote, here we have from the World of Ice and Fire, the first mention.
2: The battered, tattered remainder of the 10,000 ships sailed west with Princess Nymeria. This time, she made for Westeros. After so much wandering her ships were even less seaworthy than when they had first departed mother Roin. the fleet did not arrive in dorn complete even now there are isolated pockets of roynar on the stepstones claiming descent from those who were shipwrecked
0: this is a really tantalizing piece of world building isn't it It's like some roynish people like a smaller population left behind do they have any old water magic secrets do they have any stories passed down from when Nymeria fled and like backstories from the old Rhoynar like how large is this community now Sean, this like, is pretty cool huh
2: yeah I, f- I feel like if they were left from being shipwrecked I would have just gone and migrated to Dorne at my own time just, yeah, just the rest eventually. of my people I'd <laughs> yeah. be like oh hey all the Rhoynar are in Dorn. let's just move
0: I wonder yeah that's a good theory I bet some of them did do that but some of them may have just built homes and decide well we built homes we're living here now this is just to where we are this is where fate brought us we're going to stay yeah
1: yeah especially depending on what resources they had and how destitute they were or how welcome they were by people already there even so when it might have had that intent as she is suggesting a year might go by before they're just like getting enough food to not starve much less getting new ships to head out and after that it might start to feel like home or they might For all they know, the rest of the ships were destroyed. Who knows? It is definitely a way that, like, there might have been an intermingling of cultures. I guess I'm
2: picturing, like, a a couple generations later. Like, three Mm. generations have passed, and they're like, oh, wow, our Rhoynar cousins have really had some success in Dorne. Let's migrate now. She's the
0: princess of Dorne now? Really? Maybe we should have stuck (laughs) with her. Damn. (laughs) I guess three generations later, they may have heard about that before that. But still... Relatively speaking, like three generations. Okay, her dynasty is still going. Dang, that really worked out. (laughs) So yeah, that's uh, that's it's a very intriguing possibility. It's a good spot for like if the fan if the this fandom ever goes so far that we've seen lots and lots of shows and other short stories made. This would be a good topic to to maybe maybe not a whole like an epic could maybe not could be written about this. I mean, it could be, but maybe like a short story or two would be really good here. I
2: mean, if we get that uh, Nymeria show, they'll certainly touch on that. Yeah, that's true.
1: Think about the flip side. Do you think Nymeria or anyone in her staff ever felt obliged to go back and check if those people were okay? If they made it, to go rescue them or That's bring them point, into the pool yeah. Send
0: some ships over and be like, hey, any of y'all want to come? <laughs> we got some ships for you. Sorry you couldn't follow us, but we're here to pick you up now. Yeah, uh, that would make a lot of sense because she would maybe want more of her people there to support her. They would be on her side of like political things. Plus, she feels responsible for them. It's not all. I'm not saying she would be entirely cynical about it. She would probably care as well. But there would be the point being there would be multiple benefits for her. There'd be there'd be an ethical duty, and there would be like political benefit as well.
2: And they left Roinar other places, but it's a lot harder to send ships to go check on those places. Whereas checking on people in the Stepstones would be. Relatively easy from Dorn.
0: Yeah, it might be might be hard to find them, and there's the pirates there to deal with. It'd be, prob- but they'd have to come in force, but they wouldn't have to. It would be nearby. It'd be relatively yeah. nearby easier than going
2: to... back to see what happened to the people that stayed on Cethorios, so the people far. that stayed in Noth. I'm sure that. I mean, some Roynar stayed in each of those places.
0: Nina brings up a point about the. Ocracoke island which is off the coast of north carolina where settlement there was settlement by british colonists and pirates three to four centuries ago and there's a really interesting dialect there called Hoytoiter, and it's they say apparently it's based on the way they say high tie they say it like Hoy do you know anything about this sean you're from north carolina so have you heard about these people?
1: i've been to Ocracoke island oh. a couple times it's a, sort of a touristy spot at this point there's not much of a i mean this is a, Relatively small island, and it's they've built some bridges to get out there. Was the coke made
2: of okra there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know that is one combination I would not have. (laughs) (laughs) I do not like okra. (laughs) (laughs) I I tell you what, I most remember was the number of mosquitoes that there were. I mean, it was yeah, it was miserable (laughs) amount of mosquitoes there.
0: Well. That's. I guess I lied. There was a little bit of real-world influence there. <laughs> but I didn't, right? Nina did. Thanks for that, Nina. That was really useful. That was really good. So let's talk about some basic geography stuff and topography and things like that. We've only got three names of the islands. There's a lot of islands of the Stepstones. I don't know how many exactly. Maybe there hasn't been a grand survey done, which kind of makes sense, given no king or kingdom or republic or anything has held it for very long. And they were too busy trying to keep it before they could do like scientific surveys or whatever. So, which isn't exactly a popular thing to do anyway. So yeah, it's not surprising that some of this stuff just isn't defined. In fact, some of the places may not have names. If it isn't owned by anyone, why would it have an official name, right? <laughs> Where does this name come from? Like who named it? Why does their name count, right? If there's no one living on it, they won't. And if there's someone living on it, maybe they could name it. But I think some of these, some of these stones are probably empty entirely,
1: yeah, I can imagine some of them might have names to certain groups of people, like a, a, a band of pirates might refer to this one spot as, you They need know, to call it
0: something, yeah.
1: The Black Hideouts yeah. or the, <laughs> you know, the Northern Cliff or whatever. I, I was going to ask, actually, do we have an idea? Are there, like... Scores and scores of small little islands, and then three big ones, or is it seven? or Do we have any idea? There's of the roughly of like or-
0: seven or eight medium-sized. None of them are particularly big, and then a, a number of tiny ones or small ones that are uncharted or not well mapped, even for us. So yeah, that's the best way to explain it. It's not. It's not well. Like I said, not well surveyed. Three. The three that have names are Bloodstone. Gray Gallows, and Torturer's Deep, which is... Woo. <laughs> None of these are very friendly sounding names, are they? <laughs> <laughs> One description of of the region is rocks, sea stacks, and tangled water waves. So windswept, not very fertile, not well suited for building up defenses or population centers, and that's a big part of why no one's been able to hold it. You would normally, if you take it, you add some forts, maybe dig out a port, dredge a harbor. It just Apparently, that's not very feasible there or hasn't been done by the right people. I mean, a lot of the strongest castles in Westeros are built in places that add to the strength of the place, choke points inside a mountain like Castle Rock or atop a hill between rivers or on promontories or with moats or deserts or other natural defenses to take advantage of. Here, it's just besides the water everywhere, the stepstones doesn't seem to have a lot of those features. I mean, there are towns and villages, but as we said, there's not much indication they have a lot of size to them.
1: A perspective that you get about how islands and the ocean and such work from the movie Castaway. if you Remember that movie with Tom Hanks that you can't just always just sail your boat up to an island. There's rocks and sand dunes underneath and coral and smashing waves. And that's one reason why a lot of ports become big and popular, because they're the one place you can get a boat to the land without much trouble. And I can imagine all these islands might not be that easy to land on at all in the first place. And
0: so, I think you're right, so yeah. It maybe
1: adds to the difficulty of controlling it or populating it, and maybe adds to the value of pirates using it to hide out because they did figure out the one spot or or are willing to take the risk to go there when other people can't chase them down or whatever else.
0: Or they know several spots, which makes it even harder to catch them. They can flee when they flee. Like, well, there's one of five different yeah. places they could have gone, and like which one, who knows. And
1: And you can see why treasure maps a lot of times would be really valuable to seafarers. They're not a spot where gold is buried. It's a spot where we know we can get the boat on shore. Uh, and that's yes. a, a coveted secret.
0: That's a you know? great point, Sean. And then to build on what you said there, that is an issue with Dorne. Dorne. One of the reasons Dorne is not so big on seafaring is it doesn't really have great natural harbors anywhere. Sunspear, not really a sea power. The southern coast is is infamous for being terrible, whirlpools, krakens, and nowhere to land. So it's considered as a perilous journey by a lot. So there's some people just, when they're trading, they just, you get a trade ship, you stay on the West Coast, you go Landisport to Old Town, back and forth. Don't mess with that other stuff unless you've got a, some real experience or a better ship. So I, I mentioned Tyrosh, Lys, Mir, and some of the other free cities occasionally like Lorath, Bravos, Volantis, Pentos. Multiple examples of Westeros getting involved too, though. And, well, why would they do that? If Because of the value of this control. If Tyrosh and Mir, when they have a war, there's multiple occasions where we hear about Tyrosh and Mir going to war, that shuts down trade through the Stepstones. That's huge for a number of Westerosi cities, mercantile interests, let alone people can starve because of this. There, we have examples of that in this episode, of shipping in the Stepstones is shut down at a particularly bad time, like, say, during winter. And boy, that has a huge domino effect on Westeros, which is something we should take big note of for the future of A Song of Ice and Fire, because winter is here. The Stepstones has Golden Company all over it, has Orane Waters, has Salador San, has perhaps Euron or Victorian maybe might show back up there. Danny might pass through. It's going to be a hot spot. It could get shut down. Food shipping could get restricted at a time when food is vital. That could be huge, y'all. Like, the Stepstones is... Yeah, that's a big deal. I bet
1: Littlefinger is keenly aware of all this. Oh, yeah.
0: We already saw his manipulation of grain prices, talking to the other lords of the Vale in the Elaine chapter. He's too aware of how important the Stepstones is not to take that into account. I think you're 100% right. That's a great take. So that's a big deal. Let's talk about a little more of the geography here. Regional powers. Let's discuss who's in the region that are often the ones that are getting involved, besides the ones we've mentioned already. Or we'll restate some of this just to keep it clear. On the Westeros side, Sunspear, though, like I said, not much of a naval power. The Sea of Dorne is right there, the big open body of water, which has occasionally seen, say, pirate lords are hired by a, a storm, a king of the Stormlands or a Prince of Dorne and used to ferry ships from one side to the other, because neither of those regions have a lot of their own ships. But hey, go hire some a pirate fleet temporarily just to ferry your men here and back. And there you go. So Storm's End, of course, is right in that region as well. But more important than Storm's End and Sunspear probably are the islands around there, because those are ones that get directly embroiled with some of these conflicts without wanting to, or just by being in the region, they get sucked in. I'm talking about Greenstone, Estermont, which are both to the south of Storm's End, and north of Storm's End is Tarth. Now, Tarth is going to come up pretty big in this episode, too. King's Landing gets involved, but not usually directly, usually just by... Telling people what to do, <laughs> right? Giving orders, maybe sending a few ships, but mostly just ordering the vassals to do to deal with it. On the SOC side, Tyrosh, of course, is one of the stepstones. So they're probably the most involved of all. In fact, Tyrosh was founded by the Valyrians to control shipping in the stepstones. It was a big the reason for it to exist in the first place. Lease is just to the south of the stepstones, so that's really important. It's it's not far at all, and it's an island nation, so they're very prepared to be involved using the same tools of trade and, and shipping and all that and same interests level. Mir is just north. They're on, they're on land, but they're a big sea power as well. Pentos a bit farther north. Now, Bravos is a lot farther north, but because they hate slavery and because they have such powerful navies, which do a lot of trading, they have gotten involved in the Stepstones quite a lot as well.
1: Real quick, so you wouldn't say Lees is part of the stepstones. No, they're not. it's an island that's south of. Them, yeah, not yeah, part. It, of it, it, okay.
0: it, it formed separately from the broken arm. Well, that'd be really interesting. In a, mo- a modern archaeological survey, I would probably like they would check the geological records and see like are they part? Is it part of like the same tectonic plate or whatever? And it might be that, but I don't think we could consider it a stepstone. So it, if we take it back to say twelve thousand or ten thousand BC, that's when the stepstones were formed. My headcanon is that pirates started using it pretty quickly. It was immediate. It, it's its value for piracy, which has stayed true for 10,000 or so years, was true at the beginning. I mean, there would be maybe less things to pirate on. There'd be less ports and shipping, but it's still the place you got to pass through. That didn't, actually, that didn't change. There may have been fewer cities to go back and forth from, but it was, the old shipping lane was still the shipping lane. We don't know when Tyrosh was founded, I'm going to guess just roughly 2000 BC. It's a complete guess, though. But it goes to show what I was saying, that piracy was already active there long before Valyria came along. And I'm not sure sh- we're not sure how far Valyria's control over the Stepstones extended, but we do know that when the doom came, it, it all fell off. But before then, other things happened. There were slavers set up in the Stepstones. They seized the wolf's den on the White Knife before their White Harbor was built. So they were obviously pretty powerful if they could do something like that. They built a fort and used it as a base of operations to enslave Northerners until the Starks said, nah, we're putting an end to that. Brandon Ice Eyes was very brutal to them. The old entrails in the trees and all that stuff in the, the werewoods. Yeah, they, slavers uh, were not eager to come back, I don't think. But we also have raids along the East Coast just constantly the Vale and the Riverlands, particularly the Riverlands that is now the Crownlands. Around 600-ish BC, maybe five, maybe four, it's, this isn't very clear. This is when Nymeria's people shipwrecked on various islands there. And then around, and 102, we have a precise date on that, that's the doom and the century of blood. So whatever Valerian control was established there ended and the free cities that were ruled by Valeria now became the players in the Stepstones beyond what the state of affairs had been. So we talk about the Century of Blood quite a lot. It was the last time we had an episode that was that had very little real-world influence like this one. And it, that era, I'm confident, was when a lot of the new pirate kingdoms formed, when Lys Lice, Lice and Mir and, and Pentah started to flex their muscles, especially Tyrosh as well, over that area to varying degrees of success. They probably started fighting each other in some spots. The pirates fought each other and fought them. And big chaos. No wonder it's the Century of Blood. It's... Very chaotic, and I doubt anyone held power for very long. Rise and fall within a few months or years. Lots of action. We have Magor the Cruel cutting his teeth in the Stepstones. He took Aethan Valerian, who was uh, the lord of the tides at the time, and Osmond Strong, and they attacked the pirate lord Sargasso-san. Yes, that is Salador's ancestor. (laughs) They are Lysene. Right? That's where Salar comes from. So the Lyseni, it looks like this Sargasso-san may have been one of the descendants of the early winners of that struggle to claim pirate kingdoms and the Stepstones from, from Lys. So that's cool. And the fourth Dornish War, there was Prince Morion. Oh,
2: can I say real quick? Yeah. I just, I, I just want to shout out to the Sargasso Sea. I wonder if that's a reference to that. Do you think it is?
0: Wikipedia suggested the same thing. That oh. it might be, yeah. I think oh, it anyways,
2: so I just wanted to ask that. if
0: Yeah. I, we may have to look up the Sargasso Sea. I know very little about it, but mm. I, I, I think the name is too... I mean, it's the same name, so yeah. I think George has probably got to be aware of it, so yeah, I bet it is. So Prince Morion, who wanted to attack the Stormlands, Morion, his character can be described by removing the I in his last name and just calling him Prince Moron because he, like, bragged about this coming invasion... And the pirates, for some reason, still supported him. I guess he paid them a lot. And so, when it was time to sail his ships through the the Dornish Sea and land in the Stormlands, the Targaryens knew, and they just had dragons and just torched all the ships. <laughs> <laughs> Resmorian was killed, and that was that. I was like, "Well, good, good." Loose wish. lips. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Sank ships. Yeah. <laughs> Loose links. Loose lips sank a lot of ships. That's true.
2: <laughs> I think of that as a meant to make us think of doran
0: oh In yes doran of, like, he learned his
2: lesson don't talk a little too hard yeah. he should have talked a little more than he did
0: great point uh, yeah, yeah this guy he that's a lesson yeah that's a, it's a 200 year old lesson this <laughs> maybe would be famous to be hard to they're out their enemies wouldn't let them forget that one <laughs> so yeah wow that's a great take so, 92, nine years later, was the Mearish bloodbath. We'll come back to that. Very important event. The Stepstones were embroiled. It's a really good story. 96, the kingdom of the three daughters was formed. You're going to be hearing about a lot. You're going to be hearing about them on the TV show. But you're also going to be hearing about them today. In 106, Corlys Velaryon, the Sea Snake and Daemon Targaryen invade. Nine years later, Daemon abandons his fledgling Stepstones kingdom. We're going to go into more detail later. This is just a little timeline overview. Between 115 and 130 AC, there were five more kings of the Stepstones. Daemon formed the kingdom, and other people tried to keep it together. In 130, Shirako Lohar launches an attack fleet on King's Landing during the Dance of the Dragons. In 131, Rakalio Rindun claims the kingdom. Tyrosh sent him there to claim it, and he took it for himself. (laughs) He's like, no more am I part of you. I'm my own commander now. From 131 to 134, it was partly claimed by Aleandra Martell, the princess of Dorne. Remember, at this time, Dorne's still independent. And she named Drazenko Regare, Lord of the Stepstones. And Drazenko Regare was from that powerful banking family of Lys. So again, the Lysine getting very involved. Uh, also in 133, Alan Valerian had a controversial victory and he got his name Oakenfist. And that was in the Stepstones. In 260, so 130-ish years later, we had the War of Nine Penny Kings where Barristan Selmy famously slew Melis the monstrous Blackfire on the Stepstones, ending the war but the Ninepenny Kings were mostly pirate lords, and they ruled Tyrosh. So that's big on the stepstone. so they'll become up a lot today. And now, in current times, Orain Waters, the Golden Company, Salador San, Euron, maybe Danny, maybe Victorian. It's always been a popular hunting ground for the Ironborn, especially after Aegon's conquest. Because after Aegon took over, he said, y'all can't reeve in Westeros anymore. He might have allowed them to reeve in Dorne. But again, it's hard to reeve in Dorne. You can't land anywhere, so it's, that's that's one of the advantages to not having good landing spots. Is you're less susceptible to pirates. But on the other hand, the the Ironborn who were like, well, where do we go reaving now? <laughs> we can't reeve. Where do we reeve? So the Stepstones, That's the closest spot for them. And there's, there's other pirates. There's stuff there. It's not the best place to go because it's it's such a hunting ground. It's a tough place for so many other pirates. But there's merchants passing through, and maybe you're an Ironborn. You get lucky. Lots of different Ironborn have fought there, have have cut their teeth there, gotten fighting experience. People from long ago to recently, Asha, Batarian, probably Euron. He he doesn't say it explicitly, but probably because he's been just about everywhere. Dalton Greyjoy, the Red Crack. There's so many people, so many important Ironborn, not just Greyjoys, but... Piracy, of course, is a big topic today, but I worked on this so much this week, I can say with confidence it's going to be a separate episode where we dive into, like, piracy in the Song of Ice and Fire, especially given the historical parallels. Like I said, there's not many today, but there would be in a piracy-focused episode. So we'll try to focus on piracy as it pertains to the Stepstones and how the pirates get involved in politics and wars and other things and why it enables piracy, as well as some more and more stories of famous people and what they did there and why it was important. Despite the obvious value of the place, as we've said, it cannot be held. The nature of the train is part of that. It's an ungoverned set of islands in an important place, particularly with proximity to so many population centers and trade routes. So, of course, again, so many things about this place make it perfect for piracy. It's almost like it was designed for that by an author. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like it couldn't happen naturally. I mean, the Caribbean was a great spot for pirates, and that obviously no author created, created that unless you think of God as an author and, and believe in that. So there you go. Yeah, you, can make it ha- you can make it work. <laughs> so the pirate lords of the Stepstones are really powerful. It's not just that they play a role in politics. They, not, not just that they get involved. They play major roles like Salvador San. That's a Stepstones pirate. He was he was Stannis's like, not his whole navy, but he became his whole navy after the, the rest of the navy was destroyed at Blackwater. So at, at first he wasn't the whole navy. Eventually he was. And this kind of like real-world piracy can sometimes have a blurred line between, like, you're a pirate, or are you a privateer, or are you part of a navy, or what was Salador San as in in his role for Stannis? Was he still a pirate? Was he a sell-sale? Was he, well, Stannis gave him a title. He's Lord of the Narrow, Admiral of the Narrow Sea, so doesn't that make him official? What does official mean? Stannis' regime wasn't even official. So, like, yeah, this is, like, the semantics here are... Don't take anything too literally. I guess is one of the lessons. How do you react to that, Sean?
1: <laughs> yeah. For one thing, can you be more than one thing at once? Right? Yeah. Where you were before, and you become something new. Are you maybe still what you were before? Also, and and it's also another good way for us to sneak in and, uh, a real world parallel. But that was almost the the crux of England or Great Britain becoming the world power that it was was by embracing piracy, basically. Mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth is like, let's just do this. Yeah. You guys aren't pirates anymore. You're private. You're, you're you're just representatives of the crown. She just, people who were pirates before, she just condoned it. To, again, as long as you don't attack us, just attack the Spanish instead. We won't consider you pirates. But the Spanish still consider them pirates or or maybe we're happy to be able to blame England now and go to war with them. <laughs> yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. You could see how the words you want to use will depend on the perspective that you Yeah, have.
0: it's all in where you're standing. It's something that, that this series does a very great job of encapsulating why that's true in the real world as well as in a song of ice and fire. Yeah, I think like I think Francis Drake who's credited with being the guy the, the first person to sail around the the great horn of south not great horn the uh, the tip of south america the great horn is that's africa. And uh, but yeah, he also just attacked lots of ships just because he could. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, well that makes you a pirate, I think, but he's also an explorer. <laughs> and also a had rank in the English Navy. So yeah, it, they can all be true.
1: A lot of times you think of pirates as like a ship attacking another ship at sea. But a lot of times pirates landed their ships and attacked a town on the coast. Yeah. You know, they did as much land fighting as, as sea capturing. And also Viking is not far from pirate either. It's almost a difference in time period or location is yeah. activity.
0: Like the word Vic means river. It was like, going up river. That's what kind of what made them difference is like most pirates can't sail up river to reach like inland stuff like that. That's one of their, one of the differences there. So that's, that is a really good distinction to make.
2: Correction. But Jalen was the first around the tip of South America. Drake was the first Englishman.
0: Yeah. Cause they didn't tell the English how to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it makes sense. Okay. All right. So the San family, we, let's talk about them real briefly again. You've got Sargasso San, who we'd mentioned he was late in active latent Aegon's reign. Probably emerged during the century of blood, as I said. Then Samaro san, who was one of the band of nine, he was an ally of Melis the Monstrous during that era. He may have wanted the Stepstones. That may have been his carve out. Like Melis gets Westeros, the Silver Tongue guy, Adaro, Adaris gets Tyrosh, and the other seven each get something. I imagine one of them wanted the Stepstones, and the guy who's, whose family's been active there forever and since. Makes sense for that being his prize. The tax revenue from that place is huge, huge. There have been other Sons active elsewhere. They'll come up in various times and not necessarily today, but the Son family is important and maybe will be more so. And there are opportunities. They're often, as pirates need to be, they keep track of what's happening on the mainland here and there so that they're able to take advantage of weaknesses, striking like the ironborn we're, we're so used to doing. They sense weakness and they strike. Here's a quote.
1: As Argolik the Arrogant gathered his swords at Storm's Inn, pirates from the Stepstones descended on the shores of Cape Wrath to take advantage of their absence, and Dornish raiding parties came boiling out of the Red Mountains to sweep across the
0: marches. There you go. So that was two people taking advantage. is Dorn taking advantage, and that's Argolik the Arrogant preparing to fight Aegon the Conqueror. So, of course, during the conquest, pirates taking advantage during that. They must have had a lot to do during the conquest. When Aegon was causing all the armies to form and go fight him must have created a lot of opportunities for pirates along the coasts, because Aegon wasn't really fighting people on the coast. It was mostly inland. He was going to castles and towns and all that. So I bet the pirates had a real field day then. But we also see an impact on explorers and adventurers, not just kings and lords and powers that be. For example, here's an anecdote from the Sun Chaser saga of Alice Rivers.
2: Alice Rivers, you mean? I'm sorry, Al. But Alice, Alice Rivers. Uh, yeah, I was like, "What?" Whoops! <laughs> 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 it does actually say Rivers there. I wrote. But Alice we all rivers. know we're talking about Alyssa Farman. Alyssa Farman. Yeah,
0: not the Witch <laughs> of Harrenhal, the Explorer <laughs> of the West. <laughs> Whoops! Alyssa Farman. Thank you.
2: The perilous passage through the pirate-infested waters of the Stepstones lay ahead, and Lady Alice was hiring crossbowmen and swords to see her safely through the straits to open water, as many a prudent captain did. Lady Alice, see? <laughs> the
0: quote. Lady Alice Westhill, her pseudonym, yeah. And this is familiar because when Sam and Gilly were on the cinnamon wind, they sailed through the Stepstones, and there you go. They were attacked by pirates, and, but their bowmen, especially Koja, named after, uh, who our shares cat. a name with our cat.
2: Named after our cat. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
0: she's named after our cat, not the other way around. <laughs> and uh, so that was nice to see, that Koja teaching those pirates a lesson. Also, we talked about north-south through the Stepstones, but it's also difficult to go east or west because most ships prefer to stay close to land because it's safer. But if you go too close to the stepstones, well, then you get pirates. So it's like, which is riskier, the risk of pirates or the risk of open ocean? It's a devil's bargain. Now, those those summer islanders, for them, it's not so much of a devil's bargain because their ships are so good and so well crewed. They're like, open ocean, no problem. So they just avoid the stepstones when they can. But of course, in this example, it was north, south, so they couldn't avoid it. But east, west, they can. And you'd think we talk about the steps as being closed off. That's going to come up several times here. And I'm sure you imagine ships just there patrolling and keeping it not literally closed off, but inhospitable. But no, you'd be wrong, as I was when I was thinking about this. We found an example, though, that shows that it's not just that. They literally use chain booms, like Tyrion did in some spots, to cordon ships into certain areas to enable them to, well, there's fewer areas for them to watch for prey. Sometimes they put sink, they sink ships in a narrow area to, to create a blockade that way. So they narrow down the options you have for getting through the Stepstones, which enables them to prey on a greater number of ships. Pretty evil, but clever, I guess. Um, but it goes to show, they go, they go through a lot of effort on this, and it goes to show why there's been efforts to clean this out every once in a while. Like Tyrosh will send a fleet, destroy all these booms, clean up those destroyed ships, Kick away the pirates, but they just come back. But it needs to be reset every once in a while. So, but no one can no one can keep it in that state. So that shows you these Pirate Lords wield significant power. I mean, they're building chain booms, ruling multiple islands and and controlling shipping to such a degree. If the great powers could stop them more easily, they would. I mean, there's so much money at stake here, so many powerful mercantile interests. I mean, think about like Illyrio and all his ships. He couldn't he wouldn't stand for something like this if he could do anything about it. Apparently he can't. Like Zara, remember Zara talking to Danny like, even now one of my ships is being taken by pirates, maybe in the Stepstones or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you're probably right. But so guys like that that own like 100 ships, they lose three ships to a pirate in in a, in one season. And they're like getting mad. You can see them sending angry letters to the, well, whatever <laughs> they're just yeah, making yeah. a who stink about to? it yeah so they they did take matters into their own hands or they make the taxpayers pay for some defense force because i'm an honest hard-working man and my shipping should be protected it was like well everyone should be <laughs> but anyway so you end up with people who
1: take out insurance on their ships right like we see in bravos uh, yeah in bravos and 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 you can see like where the motivation, like on some level, I can see like large scale business people just accounting in for it as a cost of business. Yes. Like, you know, I'm going to lose one or two ships and that's going to be 10% of my business, but it's, it's worth it to get the other 90%. And they probably would feel the same way if, if they could be taxed, but they're probably more happy to pay a set tax than to randomly have ships attacked here and there. Yeah, less and fluctuation. Be better for people yeah. if the taxes could actually stop the pirates. But it's hard to coordinate that internationally.
0: Yes, totally right. That's a great point because when you're a big, powerful businessman like that, loss is loss, especially if you're amoral. You're like, I don't care if, if my ships got burned by pirates or I spent the same amount of money on taxes. You're right. They don't really care. But the individuals sailing their ships, they Definitely care. (laughs) It's like it's the whole Game of Thrones metaphor from Jorah Mormont all played out in a different way, which is they don't care about the Game of Thrones. They just want to be left alone. Same kind of thing. They don't care about this game of huge dollars and international shipping. They just want to live.
1: (laughs) Even in some sort of cold, calculated sense where you're not worried about the the lives of people and just like the the net results of the trade, it would probably still be better off for the governments to limit this piracy because – someone like Elario might do even more business. It would get even more food through. There would be less threat in times of winter, of blockades, and the overall society would probably benefit more from it. However, it's still hard to get all these different leaders and all these different countries and cultures to agree and come together and make this happen.
0: Well said, Sean. Very well said. Yeah. And then, of course, we have these people, the type of people that would need to get together and and come to some sort of arrangement are the type of people that are tend to be pretty greedy and pushy and want their way. So that it's really hard for such people to come to an arrangement.
1: Especially if they can just like get the pirates to pay them a tax. Yeah. <laughs> rather than exactly. contribute to all these other people to stop it in the first place, <laughs> ulterior motives and everything else could further disrupt what should happen.
0: Almost all these little dynamics you brought up are going to, we're going to have examples of in the rest of the episodes. So that's great. We've got people that did take it over and did run it pretty well for a while, but then they just couldn't, they couldn't get over themselves and greed destroyed it all. So we'll get to that. We have the next section, A Kingdom of the Stepstones, and that was formed by Damon Targaryen, a character soon to ascend beyond the ranks of well-known in the fandom to worldwide fame, thanks to HBO and Matt Smith and all that. As of today, it's May 15th, 2022, so House of the Dragon has yet to premiere, but it's beyond clear at this point that he's going to challenge for the most screen time in season one. Who knows beyond that? big part of his history is set in the stepstones including a chance event that caused a fork in Targaryen history that paved the way for Daemon's ambitions so when he was really young he doesn't have a role in this early stuff here but we're going to tell I'm going to tell a story and it'll start to move forward and include him at, at a later age so we're starting in the year 91 AC Daemon was very young then so not not a world stage player yet in 91 AC, this was still the reign of Jiharis and Alisan and almost 40 years before the Dance of the Dragons, there was this event that I mentioned a little bit earlier called the Blood Bloodbath. There were two factions within the city of Mir. They played out the Game of Thrones, but in a blow to Cersei's logic, the losing side escaped. They didn't die, and they set up a base of operations in the Stepstones nearby. It's unclear why, but the Archon of Tyrosh didn't like this. Perhaps he was in league with the other Mirish faction, or... He wanted to have control over it. Who knows? Either way, he allied with one or more of the Pirate Lords living in the Stepstones. And those Pirate Lords drove out this second losing Mirish faction. Again, they survived this attack only to again settle elsewhere. And again, it was relatively close by. But this time it was in the Seven Kingdoms. They took the southern half, bottom half of the Isle of Tarth at the time ruled by the Evenstar, Lord Cameron Tarth. This was such an unexpected arrival. I mean, the Seven Kingdoms were not used to being attacked like this, given they have dragons and it's the reign of Jaehaerys and Alisanne, which was well, a well-run realm. So this was part of why they were able to make such inroads to capture half the island. And it wasn't long before the heir to the throne, Prince Aemon, was sent with his dragon Caraxes, and levies from the Stormlands to drive them away. The Mirish were not passive, however, and endeavored to go on the attack rather than just defend themselves against Caraxes and the Stormlanders. So spies were sent out and they discovered where Lord Cameron Tars' camp was and they tried to assassinate him via crossbow. The shot missed. Well, it missed Lord Cameron and struck Prince Aemon in the neck and he died pretty quickly. If you could erase one death to save the most lives in Westeros in this era, it would be this one. Without his death, we probably wouldn't have had the Dance of the Dragons at all. And it was terrible for the Mirish army as well, because even though it was like, hey, we killed the Targaryen prince. No, that's bad. Because the rage of his younger brother, Balon, who loved him, he was like, that's my big brother, like followed him around everywhere. He was so angry and he was the rider of Vagar. You don't piss off the rider of Vagar and get away with it. He flew in, burned all their ships, then dismounted and led the army, and they slew all to like to a man. There was like no one escaped because how could they? The ships were gone, and Prince Balon was wielding Dark Sister.
2: Also, want to be clear that this Balon is Damon's father. Yeah,
0: this is Damon and Viserys' father. Yeah, no, uh, his was brother
2: rode Damon's dragon Caraxes, but his father is the one who did this.
0: Yeah. Cersei would jump in here and say, see, they did all die. I wasn't wrong. (laughs) It just took a minute. So that made Balon heir to the throne with Viserys next and and Daemon after him at the time because Viserys didn't have any kids yet. So had Aemon not died young, Viserys would not have been king. Daemon would not have had much value to maneuvering into into position to be his heir because not heir to anything. Not to mention that Daemon could not have claimed Caraxes because that would have still been Aemon's dragon. (laughs) And he wouldn't have had Dark Sister because of his father not dying, but both of them died. Balon died nine years later. The throne did pass to Viserys, and then his death kicked off the dance many years later. And his reign did a lot of the setting up for that, but of course, that's a whole other story. And Daemon was very ambitious. So there's a whole lot more to it, but to keep this part simple, since it has less to do with the Stepstones, after Rhaenyra was declared heir ahead of Daemon, he got mad, flew off on Caraxes, Went to Dragonstone and sulked slash <laughs> A Little of both. Nearby on Driftmark. Remember, Dragonstone's right next to Driftmark. Lord Corlys Valari and the Sea Snake was becoming annoyed with the Stepstones. Like an example you brought up earlier, Sean, the Kingdom of Three Daughters was beginning to dominate the uh, Stepstones. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Checking out back with the f- merest faction that won. So we've we talked about this, the losing side and all their trowels and travails getting slaughtered on Tarth. They, the winners, allied with Tyrosh, probably the same Tyroshi that drove the second faction out from the Stepstones. And they've allied with Lys as well, which is the Kingdom of the Three Daughters. They actually called it the Triarchy. Kingdom of the Three Daughters is the Westerosi name for it, but whatever. So all this is four years after the Mirish Bloodbath. This three-city alliance combined their powers to take over, you guessed it, the Stepstones. Individually, probably they couldn't have done it, but all three combined, that might work. They sent in a man named Kragas Drehar, who gained the name Kragas Crabfeeder due to his penchant for taking captured stepstone pirates and crucifying them on the beach at low tide. As the water rose, they'd drown and become a food for the crabs. Not necessarily in that order. This sort of concerted, focused effort wasn't something the various pirate lords had faced before, and they were not up for this conflict. So it wasn't long before the Triarchy had control over the stepstones. And here's how that went. Quote,
1: The conquest and annexation of the Stepstones by the kingdom of the Three Daughters at first met only with approval from the lords of Westeros. Order had replaced chaos, and if the Three Daughters demanded a toll of any ship passing through their waters, that seemed a small price to pay to be rid of the pirates.
0: Right, exactly what you were saying before. That is worthwhile. If my tax dollars are being spent on murdering people, that's... I hate that. But if my tax dollars are being spent on like stopping people from, reading, like, yeah, hey, I'm I'm cool with that. That seems like if we're going to debate how tax money should be spent, that's one of the best ways it can be spent, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, so like that is pretty much what you were saying before, right, Sean? Pretty much, yeah. It's, uh, uh, that's
1: an element, at least, of what I was saying. Yeah. I think uh, my, a point that I want to make, at least, is that it's important for humanity to have stability. Mm. And that if, in scenario A, you're going to lose ten percent of your stuff, but it's random and unpredictable. And in the scenario B, you're going to lose ten percent of your stuff, or maybe even twelve percent of your stuff. When and how and why and where? That's better.
0: Yes, that's true. Yeah, you can bank on, you can predict it, you can prepare. Like, yes, I'm going to lose ten yeah, percent. Plan around
1: it. You can be sure of it, etc. It's yeah. better to
0: lose ten percent every time, recurringly than to just lose nothing, lose nothing, lose nothing, lose everything. Right. Especially if you're yes, an independent yeah. operator.
1: Averaging out. Yeah. Yeah. If for sure it's going to be 10% every time versus sometimes it's zero and sometimes it's 40, you would, even if, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And of course, not to mention the, the chance you lose your life, which you don't lose yep. 10% of your life. I mean, not like that anyway. That's not the right <laughs> <laughs> the math. You, you need to use different calculations for that. So again, consider the sheer volume of ships passing through the region, the toll monies piling up higher and higher. And what did the average sailor think of this? We talked about like the nations, Westeros was happy, but what about the rank and file sailors? Were they happy? I, I imagine they were like, because of this whole, we're no longer risking our lives. Well, there's less risk to our They're still risking their lives. They're going out in the open ocean and stuff like that. There's always risk. But they were probably pretty grateful, I would guess, most of them. Although some of them may have, some of the smarter ones may have seen which way the wind was blowing and realized that this was only temporary, that something was going to go wrong. And yeah, well, they weren't wrong about that. So... That stacking up the money they're providing a service it seemed like a good arrangement right they're getting tax revenue they're keeping the pirates out win-win right which is why all the it's so it's so frustrating because so many real world things like this are surely happened greed just ruined it all right an epic fail they had it made endless steady cash seven kingdoms approved Anyone who didn't approve wasn't strong enough to stop them with so much money pouring in, they were also able to strengthen their hold on the situation. So the only ones who could really screw it up was them. And that's what they did. Here's what happened next.
2: The avarice of Kragus Crabfeeder and his partners in conquest soon turned feelings against them, however. The toll was raised again. And yet again, soon becoming so ruinous that merchants who had once paid gladly now sought to slip past the galleys of the triarchy as once they had the pirates.
0: It's like they're taxing and they're the pirates. They've become the pirates, but they're also taxing you. It's like they've become what they hate or what they said they were going to stop. So,
1: Yeah. In an attempt to follow up my analogy from before, let's say you would rather pay 12% tax than randomly lose 10% of your stuff. Well, what if the tax is 25 or 40%? At some point, you'd rather take the chances of, of what, without the centralized control, that ostensibly was making things better for you when they're actually making things worse for you.
0: Changes the risk calculation entirely. Like, well, now I'm risking my life and all this stuff for like a few months of income, whereas before it was a year's income or something. And now, like, yeah, so now it's worth trying to dodge the taxes again. The risk of getting away is, Yeah
1: it's almost worse when an ostensibly official entity is doing it to you. You know what I yeah. mean? It's almost, I would rather be robbed by a criminal on the street than a police
0: officer. Yes, that makes yes, sense? Like, yes. you're not
1: supposed to be robbing me. It is somehow
0: more <laughs> offensive. Yeah, and I get it. Like, the, the net result is the same for you, but you, you feel like that's worse for society. You feel like it's more offensive. There's something more, yeah, it's just
1: worse. You, like you have less control over, or yeah. less recourse when it happens. Right, You've
0: le- it's less answerable. Like, you can send cops after those pirates, but it doesn't usually work that well to send cops after other cops, like... Yeah, <laughs> most countries. Yeah, just, there's not a great history behind that, <laughs> to, put it, to put it mildly. Anyway, back to, the, back to Westeros. The, this brings our two plot threads together again. So we have the state of affairs of the Triarchy getting greedier and greedier, and that's the thing that really annoyed the Sea Snake. This is, here's a powerful, rich guy, one of the richest men in the area, if not in the world, owner of a fleet. He was paying huge amounts to the Triarchy. And this is like what you're saying, Sean. Like, I'm paying taxes to someone I'm going to have to fight eventually. I'm giving them every dollar I send, every gold coin I send them is another sword hired against me, another ship crewed against me, because he knows it's going to come to conflict. They weren't enemies at the time. They were rivals. And he knew that rivalry is with stakes like this is not unlikely to turn to blood at some point. And it's better to be the one to attack first rather than being the one attacked first especially given every passing day, means more and more money he's giving to them through taxation. He's like, well, if I'm going to do it, better do it soon. With Daemon Targaryen frustrated in his attempts to just rule, well, something. He wanted to be in charge of something. He, the two found common cause. If he can't be king of the Iron Throne, how about king of the Stepstones? Boom. All that tax money going to the Triarchy could be his. And the Sea Snakes, instead of paying taxes, they could collect taxes. Whoa. Total windfall. That power over shipping and trade, substantial. There's an ambitious man seeing an opportunity. Only guy in the realm with a dragon that's interested in something like this gives him a huge leg up. In 106, the invasion begins. We'll forego deep detail on the conflict itself for another time, but the Triarchy's forces had no answer for Caraxes. And King Viserys, his brother, the with, started sending money to help him. So it's like, okay, well, this is a good way to keep my brother out of messing with my business. Help him out here. Maybe he'll just, that'll be his thing and he can keep to that. So by three years later, Damon had control of all but two Stepstones. I assume Tyrosh isn't being counted there. Certainly he didn't control Tyrosh. I'm not sure if it's one of the two named or not. So they decided to make it official at that point. Lord Corlys crowned him, naming him king of the Stepstones in the Narrow Sea. The following year, they struck back though. The Triarchy dispatched Rakalio, Rindune and a new fleet to reclaim the Stepstones. There was a lot of back and forth. Further drama, six years... Of back and forth fighting over the stepstones between the Kingdom of the Three Daughters with Rapalio Rendun and some of these other folks. Dorn got involved on the side of the triarchy, and that made it even harder for Damon. And then just other stuff happened in Westeros. The, the political situation happened there, and he just said, ah, Screw it, I'm bored. He just left. He's like, all right, I don't care about this anymore. It's too much work. (laughs) Or I don't know, I don't actually know what (laughs) what his attitude was, but he definitely gave up on it. The kingdom didn't end with his departure, though. He left. But once you create a kingdom, it's there. It's a power base that other people can be like, well, maybe I can be that king. And people know there's a kingdom now. I don't have to establish the kingdom. I just have to take it. It's easier to follow in the footsteps of someone that did that than carve it out in the first place. Yeah. Well, that's our first half. We're at our little halfway break here. That was a lot of me just straight telling a, a story there. We don't usually do that in these Valeritas episodes, but that's a really good story. <laughs> that's our politics back and forth. And it's so timely with with uh, House of the Dragon coming soon because I, I think some of this will be in the show, but I, I imagine they'll have to, some of the detail may not make it. And who knows that? We'll see. We'll see.
2: Um, am going to see crab feeder. Yeah, we'll see him, I think to write about
0: that.
1: And something like this, where it is so much more central to just the world of ice and fire, I might not have as much input as you have story to tell. I was going to point out, I, I rewatched our, I always rewatch our streams just to see the comments in the chat and everything. And so in there was like, because I'm trying to not be spoiled for uh, House of the Dragon, but i accept that I'm going to have some superficial exposure. I just don't want people to tell me details of key plot points but some of that is in this book that i'm reading and uh, and someone in the chat was like how is sean not spoiled didn't he read this book i'm like well here's the thing if at some point before you read the game of thrones series if someone had said arian is going to be imprisoned by her dad and her brother's going to get killed in marine by the time you're three books in you still don't know who those people are it <laughs> you don't remember that it's a, it, you know it's like <laughs> I might have read one time something Damon did, but I'm not good enough to have fully absorbed and memorized all of it so right on, uh, yeah going through this here every now and then I'm like ooh you know yeah. like, ooh, that might be part of this story, but it's still not enough for me to like I don't know I feel like I'm not spoiled right yeah. now. we'll see <laughs> as we get deeper into stuff I might get more spoiled but also don't think that's gonna take away from this set design and the performances of the characters and everything else the show is going to show us. Even if we know these plot points, we don't know the, personal motivations and everything that this nuances of why the characters are making their decisions yeah. and so
2: you know it was funny when we were doing our house of the dragon stream with you and there were no spoilers for you for your sake but the chat was just full of spoilers <laughs> and like i realized i'm like we're doing it just for you everyone else in the <laughs> chat can talk all they want about spoilers <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah folks, this is a lot of fun. I'm glad our patrons picked this topic. As usual, I want to remind you all that we have voting every week. We're now a week ahead. We're we're voting more than a week ahead so that we have a little more time to think about the topic. So, we already know what next week's topic is. I'll announce it at the end of the episode as should be the pattern going forward. And again, I want to remind y'all what I said at the beginning. Keep an eye out if you have if you if you consume us through a regular podcast feed, keep an eye out for the bonus episodes that will be dropping with the dollar signs on them. You can sign up to get those. Because you never can have too much history of Westeros. That's what I tell myself anyway. That's how I feel about it. I don't listen to us, but I certainly absorb the material (laughs) on my own as much as I can. I have not gotten bored of this. Technically, you do listen to us. You're right. I do. I edit it, so I do. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I said the wrong thing. Ashea is correct. She's not just technically correct. She's completely correct. (laughs) I don't listen to it for fun. Let's put it that way. But it is fun. I do enjoy hearing us talk and um, at a different pace. Especially when uh, <laughs> I listen to an older episode and I haven't heard it in a while and I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> <laughs> These jokes are fresh. <laughs> <laughs> mm, maybe not. OK, so a couple of questions from y'all. Pulled pork Sandwich. Now, that's a good name even though that's gross. No, (laughs) that's a good news. There was fighting over the Aleutia Islands in the Bering Strait in World War II. Japan invaded them and the U.S. had to take them back. Okay, yeah, I think I was vaguely aware of that. So I didn't mean to imply no one's ever fought over them, but it wasn't like this constant back and forth. But you're right, that is a very good point because as those would be bases of operation to launch fighters or to have ships that can more easily attack and have a place to get back to, like especially airplanes with their range and all that. I'm actually sure that there were airplanes on the Aleutians, but that would make sense. A
1: lot of the battles in the Pacific were based on the range that planes could fly. Ah. Like the, the plane could fly this far and it needed to land and refuel, then fly this far and land and refuel and then get to Japan. So like, all right, we need to get this island and then we need to get this island. That was a lot
0: of the that's, Pacific. Campaign. That's why the fighting over Okinawa was so fierce, huh? part of the reason it was so fierce is
1: because at that point, Japan already knew they couldn't win. They, they were completely defeated. And they were just trying to angle for better uh, terms of surrender. Uh, and so they were just trying to make the losses for the allies high enough that the allies would be like, okay, fine, you can keep your emperor. And there's all sorts yeah, of... Yeah, that, that gets it all behind record. it. But-, but it's
0: not a bad analog for for this like the importance of capturing certain islands and island hopping was part was like something they described like the u.s navy was island hopping playing moving up to the next na- island taking that one securing that moving up to the next one, here just farther just moving west towards japan so that is somewhat familiar but with obviously much different technologies involved. Although the uh, dragons do provide something of a modern analog to the bombers and fighters and shows you the value of having air superiority. I mean, Damon will later point out that the Stepstone, the when the Triarchy fought him and the Stepstones, they just avoided Caraxes. They wouldn't confront. They would just scatter, guerrilla fighting. They wouldn't, they would rarely, like, I mean, why would they? Like, it's hopeless. That was part of their strategy was to never confront Caraxes directly if they couldn't help it. Must have worked somewhat well because Damon was only partially successful. Tony3483 says, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these islands are basically fortresses at this point with tunnels, catapults, and defensive features. Tunnels, yeah. I bet they do have some tunnels. Any tunnels they would find or create. Yeah, I mean, talk about a place to stash your pirate loot. And, yeah, I mean, they could build some defenses that you you see things like that on in the Caribbean with those pirate haunts and and in the uh, like the african pirates the the did some of the same things yeah they would they would need to defend themselves against government navies coming in, and they need to make it difficult, right,
1: or rival pirates they don't want other people taking yeah, over their true. their secret cove or whatever'
0: uh, that's a great point. yeah Nothing stopping pirates from attacking other pirates, yeah, especially when they are fresh off of a, a win. you're like,, hmm, those guys just looted all that. What if we loot them? Pulled Pork Sandwich again jumps in and says, the Stepstones remind me of the Thousand Islands off the coast of Florida. Okay. I am not familiar with them, but certainly George has his own Thousand Islands in north of uh, Essos there. So that's pretty cool. Maybe that's something to look at for me or the rest of y'all. Tony3483 says, I keep thinking about Tortuga, French, Spanish, English, all fought over it becomes a base for pirates. And then Great pull, example.
2: And then Pulled Pork Sandwich says, Tortuga in the Caribbean islands, Port Royal was a pirate city.
0: Yeah. Tortuga means turtle. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the equivalent of Estermont because Estermont's an island and its sigil <laughs> is the turtle <laughs> George loves turtles anyway, great examples Yeah, when we do, like I said, when we talk about piracy directly as a topic we'll be digging into a few of these things I'm a big fan of Caribbean piracy the history of Caribbean piracy one of my favorite podcasts is the history of pirates podcast or sorry, the pirate history podcast the other show also I'm a fan of <laughs> but that one's not active anymore the pirate history podcast has like 250 episodes. We, Sean and I did an episode with him on our now-defunct show, uh, Fandom Media, where we talked about Black sales. And uh, maybe we'll have him back on for, for History of Westeros, because I think he's a listener as well. So, hey, shout-out to you, Pirate History Podcast. Matt, hope you're doing well, and I recommend that show. But let's get back to the history of the Stepstones, picking up after Damon gave it up. This section's called The Kings After the Prince. Once you create a kingdom, like I said, it doesn't just go away when there's nothing to replace it anyway. The triarchy was strong enough to drive him out, but they weren't strong enough to reestablish control over it themselves. The the back and forth had weakened them all so much that they were no longer able to wield the power they had. However, like I said earlier, five more kings would rule the kingdom of the Narrow Sea uh, on the Stepstones over the next 15 to 16 years. So clearly none of them had it for very long. One of these kings hired Dalton Greyjoy, the red kraken, as a sell sale. But while he was employed there, he got news that his father died. So he left to go become Lord Reaper of Pike, And that king probably didn't rule much longer. Maybe he would have if Dalton had stick around, but who knows. The Triarchy collapsed entirely at the end of the Dance of Dragons and started fighting each other, which I was... if, if When you read more about them, it's clear that this would have eventually happened. <laughs> Despite fighting their former allies, Tyrosh was like let's try for the Stepstones again. <laughs> it's hard to take. So let's take it when we're fighting three other enemies at once. That's the right way to do it. And Recallio Rundun was there and they sent him in. Maybe maybe he's the one that convinced them it was a good idea. I, that's kind of my headcanon. He was a very influential guy, very charismatic, a great leader, but not super trustworthy and a little bit crazy. He killed the fifth king of the Stepstones in the Erosi himself. And this is why I think it was his encouragement that started this whole thing because he didn't give it to Tyrosh. He kept it for himself. And my thinking is, this wasn't something he did on a whim, right? He's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep this for myself. He probably planned this out. He named himself, we should probably say, well, why wasn't he the sixth king of the Nero Sea? Because he called himself queen. (laughs) Like I said, he was a little different. Yes, Queen Ricaglio <laughs> will also get an episode of his own one day. What a colorful character. Literally, he's from Tyrosh and used beard dye like a lot of them, so he's colorful in both ways. And here's where that left things, the current state of affairs, after that.
2: Tyrosh, Mir, Lys, and the three-headed alliance of Bravos, Pentos, and Laura battled one another across the Stepstones and the disputed lands, whilst the rogue kingdom of Recallio Rendun pinched shut the bottom of the Narrow Sea. In King's Landing, Duskendale, Maidenpool, and Gulltown trade withered. Merchants and traders came howling to the king, who either refused to see them or was not allowed to, depending on whose chronicle we trust. The specter of famine loomed in the north as Cregan Stark and his Lord's Bannermen watched their food stores dwindle, whilst the Night's Watch turned back an ever-increasing number of wildling incursions from beyond the wall.
0: The underlying reasoning there, which isn't stated outright, which we know well from current times, is the ever-increasing number of wildling incursions is probably based on the rise of starvation. They're probably... More active because they're more in danger. Their life is under threat. And of course, it's also winter. But this is what I brought up at the beginning of the episode, which is such an important plot point, such a recurring theme, something that's going to get more important. We haven't gotten to the peak of food importance in Westeros, but we can see how well it's set up. So yeah, when the Stepstones was in flux, when food couldn't get through... Almost everybody got involved. Look at all these important nations, even Lorath and Bravos. Those aren't nearly as close, but they got involved. It affected them all. So just the Stepstones being shut down by Recalio Rendun and this fighting there, it had a huge ripple effect.
1: You know, there is a parallel in world history that times of famine and that ilk parallel times of violence and war.
0: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, famine leads to violence. You know I mean, a whole, you got a whole country full of hangry people. That does sound dangerous, yeah. So given the shortages of food coming due to winter, given how food shortages occurred in part in the past because of the Stepstones being blockaded, again, we expect to see that. Uh, At the end of the episode, we'll list off some possible suspects in a little more detail, but we'll stick with this timeline just after the dance. For now, the political situation turned to something more familiar. The people in power jockeyed for position and settled on an alliance that would never, ever work in the long term, which clearly means war is going to happen again. Here's what happened.
1: The Sea Lord of Bravos, the Archon of Tyrosh, and Recalio Rendun had made common cause. They would rule the Stepstones jointly, and only such ships as were licensed to trade by Bravos or Tyrosh would be allowed to pass.
0: I mean, come on, full control? So on a whim, they're they're just like, nah, actually, mm, Lorath, none of your ships can go through. That's just how it is. Like, what? (laughs) That is just way too Mm -hmm. much control. So you can see why I called that like an untenable situation, and worse... For Westeros, the red Kraken was running, well, sailing wild in the Westerlands, just reaving all over the place, unleashing his ironborn after a hundred years of not being allowed to raid the West. They were very hungry for it, and he's like, now's the time. And one of the reasons he knew he could do that was the only fleet capable of stopping him was trapped on the other side of the stepstones. They couldn't, they would have to get through this war zone and then sail all around the inhospitable. Southern coast of Dorne, which we mentioned earlier, is a really hard thing to do, and then go confront the Ironborn at sea in their home territory. So of course he's real confident, and he was already a confident guy in the first place. But you can see what, but his confidence as you could wasn't unearned. This was a really good opportunity for Ironborn depredations to happen. So eventually, Westeros had to get involved. They needed to clear out the stepstones for reasons of starvation and ironborn raiding. And, and Fist goes to confront Rindune. And Rindune liked him. They kept him for a while. They partied. He threatened to kill him a few times. He gave him one of his wives. He made him kill some Tairashi people to prove he wasn't on their side. It's all weird, but <laughs> part of why, the reason why this guy's story just must be told later. Uh, also, Rakali was probably playing some of this off. Like, why make an enemy of House Velaryon at their peak if you don't have to? So, yeah, I get he was maybe playing off the weirdness and being chaotic and just showing that he's dangerous and unpredictable. But I think behind all that, he's he's not stupid. He's like, yeah, I don't need to fight these guys. Dorne, however, is another matter. Dorne entered the civil war between the members of the Triarchy and Rindun was overwhelmed. But he escaped. He went to the Basilisk Isles and... His story will pick up another time because he's gone from the stepstones. That effectively ended the war, though, of course, the stepstones is, remains chaotic. So that Princess of Dorne I mentioned, Aleandra, she then that's when she claimed them and named that her lysine consort Drazenko Rogare, of that powerful banking family, Lord of the Stepstones. But if you recall what happened to that Rogare family, Drazenko was murdered almost at the same time as his brother. Even though they were nowhere near each other at the time, and it was pretty widely assumed it was by Faceless Men. Who sent them? Maybe the Iron Bank? Maybe Ricalio Rundo. Also a story for another time, but something to think about.
1: I wonder if the if the Archon of Tyrosh and Ricalio if there was some other angle they were looking for. Like if they, it's hard to know all the nuances of the personalities and relationships going on, but I wonder if they were that was like a bargaining chip. Like, if you don't do this, we're going to block off. Well, we're not doing it. Okay, we're blocking off. And maybe they knew on some level it wouldn't work, but it would give them leverage towards some other decision or power or, or maybe even some personal vendetta someone had. You killed my cousin or you no. wouldn't let me marry your daughter or something. It
0: was Tairashi and it turned on them because they were. he was supposed to take the steps for them. And he's like, nope, I'm, I'm independent now. So there they, they was definitely some bad blood, but when he has that much power, he can negotiate. It can't be just all about, we hate you. He... If he can shut down their shipping, they're gonna have to set their hater side for him to to make out to work out a, an arrangement. But yeah, I'm sure you're right there in general. Like uh, maybe not. We don't know the specifics, but surely they were using that leverage. Like you give, pay me this amount, or your ships don't get through. And just like before, when the taxes were going up and up and up, they were probably doing the same thing. Like, well, how much is it worth it to you to get through? I'll take yeah. I'll take that much, and then a little more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can see why that wasn't tenable. There were enough people left out, cut out of this deal, that they were able to fight back. And, and well, what happened? No one took it over. The stepstones reverted to their former state of being ruled by no one. And this fighting over it for so long really depleted all these regional powers. They were too exhausted or disinterested to try again anytime soon.
1: If there was some little finger whispering in someone's ear, looking for chaos to be a ladder.
0: Well, point. Well, point. Now there's got to be some mistering, mistering, missing history here. More stories yet to be revealed, but the, because we have a, a gap of about 125 years where we don't really have anything going on there, anything of note, anything we know of, something to make it filled in later. But the next period of note came about 125 years later. Maybe Fire and Blood will give us some info, actually. But when Maelius the Monstrous crowned himself king and led the Golden Company to conquer the Stepstones, as, well, a stepstone to conquering Westeros, they intended to island hop across. This would be the year 260. And again... We've got a king named Jaharis in charge, just like we did when the Mirish bloodbath occurred 170 years before. So Jaharis the first during that one. Jarees the second for this one. The nine, the band of nine, extremely well situated to take the stepstones. They're unlike a lot of traditional armies or alliances because they already had control of Tyrosh, so they had the the closest city. But they also had multiple pirate lords in their group, so that's a lot of ships. And which meant they probably already had connections to some of the pirates that were already in the Stepstones. Plus they had the freaking Golden Company. I mean, that's a mighty army right there. So this is another reminder, despite the lack of natural resources and people, the Stepstones have just enormous strategic and military value too. It's not just the trade value. It has this. It's the the base of operations thing, like we talked about in uh, World War II stuff in in the Pacific.
1: You know, another thing I think a coalition like this might've had that I pointed out before Good maps. Oh. They would have known how to get their ships around the islands where they could land or not land, and et cetera, et cetera. That's a
0: great point. Knowing those pirates having like yeah advantages like that. Mm, that is a really good point. Anita adds a great point here too. She says the geopolitical importance of the stepstones may be why Stefan Baratheon, remember that's Robert and Renly and Sansa's father, married Kasana Estermont. She married. So that's one of the islands that we mentioned. One of the really important islands in this general theater of war or of action, had the Blackfire and or Ninepenny King's forces been successful in the Stepstones during that war, they would have probably moved on to Westeros via the nearest landing point, that is, Estermont. Like after the Stepstones, they probably don't go straight into Dorne because then they're just, well, now you have to go all through the desert to get into the rest of Westeros. That wouldn't make much sense. So they were probably going to land in the Stormlands. Uh, That would be the closest area to land and that would give them pretty easy access to most of the rest of the continent. Dorm would be a little too isolated. So the thinking here is, Nina says, maybe that they saw this state of affairs. The Blackfires have been a problem for generations, and, and in order to forestall some sort of alliance between House Estermont and a foreign power, the Blackfires perhaps cut that avenue off. Marry the Estermonts, keep them loyal, keep them in the fold. Be pretty confident that one of the islands is going to stay on your side. You obviously can't marry them all, <laughs> but you, you, keep, you cut off one avenue for them and give yourself a base that's in the region that uh, you can count on and trust. So that, that's a great take by Nina. She says maybe Ormond Baratheon decided that the west, best way to combat a potential blackfire landing in the Stepstones was to marry his heir to an Estremont. And yeah, and, and he, she also adds a footnote, either way, without the Stepstones, we might not have had Robert, Sanderson, Renly as they existed in the story. It's, certainly their history was affected by that or their, their outlook.
1: You can imagine much like this is a thing in the real world, like if they anticipated in an invasion through Estremont, And so they sent a bunch of armies and navies to there. The people in Estremont might have gotten a little nervous, like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> if but if up front you're like, hey, we're your allies, let's marry into your family, we'll let you get tax breaks and trade routes from us. But also we're going to send some troops there to prevent an invasion by someone else. Yeah, that That would look on the up and up. Yeah,
0: you're our in-laws. Yeah, Yeah. this is just, yeah, it's protection. It looks like protection rather than like, who are you trying to control here? Yeah. And note, who has Estermont now in the current story? The Golden Company. The Golden Company has Estermont. They took it. one of the many, they landed in all over chaotically in a bunch of places. One of the places they landed with some ships was Estermont. So that's, it's theirs now. History repeating itself, or almost repeating itself. This time, there wasn't a close connection with Estremont and the, the Baratheons. Well, the Baratheons are in disarray right now, <laughs> let's just say. So the whole Stormlands is, is wackadoo, uh, shall we say. But you can see why that's really relevant, and how it could prove a more interesting going forward. I encourage you to say things are wackadoo more often. <laughs> it's a good word, <laughs> wackadoo. <laughs> I get my vocabulary from Frank Reynolds. (laughs) This next section I've called The Proving Grounds. Did Daemon Targaryen waste his time in the Stepstones? Some would say he had nothing to show for all that effort, but I'd call that an error in judgment. Though Daemon was feared before he went to the Stepstones the many enemies he defeated, the battles he fought in gave him experience that many others lacked, especially the other Dragon Riders. Going into the Dance of the Dragons, how many other Dragon Riders had, had sufficient had significant combat experience? None, really. Not that none of them had no experience at all, but he's the only one that had like a lot of combat experience. And some of the enemies he made during that stretch were still around and causing conflict. And you better believe that Damon's enemies were reaching out to say, hey, enemy of my enemy? Friends? Yeah? Should we be friends against... Yeah, he, that's Damon. We both hate him I'm more thinking, than we hate each other, don't we?
2: I'm thinking more about all the people that knew Caraxes. That said. too, yeah. <laughs> like, I know that dragon. That dragon killed my father. <laughs> that dragon quite. killed my
0: father and burned my lunch. <laughs> the, the point is, though, that the Stepstones as a war-torn region is a place where many important figures got that early war slash crucial combat experience. Here's a quick quote.
2: And her consort, Prince Damon, tried and tempered in the Stepstones, had more experience of warfare than all their foes combined. See what I'm
0: saying? The Greens went into this whole thing with very little war experience. They were tough and brave and ready, but they were going up against a man with real experience who was fearless and ambitious and bloodthirsty, it's fair to say. Like, remember when Oberyn was like... I am a bloodthirsty man. I think Prince Damon would say something similar. After all, before this character was ever introduced, I know I've said this before, but it's been a while. Good time to bring it up again. When Prince Damon was first introduced, before even his name was even revealed, Elio, who we had as a guest, uh, Elio of Westeros.org, posted, George told us about this new character. He's like the Targaryen Red Viper. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm. That is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So uh, a list with a little bit of detail. On a bunch of characters whose first action or first major action was on the stepstones, and Selmy killing Mayles the mantras. the Blackfish—that's where he first became famous. He was a young teenager, really made a note for himself or really made a name for himself down there. Remember, this is where L- Littlefinger—he keeps coming up. His father was a sellsword that fought on the stepstones for the Tullys, and that's where weird that to that picture, right? Him. Yes, like,
2: I just can't picture Littlefinger's father. Fighting.
0: Yeah, he was a bravosi cell sword, yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting, right? And then Maribald. Remember Septon Maribald's heartrending speech about going to war and his friends and how all the like one of them got sick, one of them was smashed in the face by a knight, and all just all of them died basically. So it isn't all heroism and, and rah-rah. It's it's trauma and tragedy. So those are that was the stepstones. That was the War of Nine Penny Kings that Maribald fought in. There's plenty of famous people who were there that didn't really make a name for themselves, but they were there and it probably had an impact on their personality. Prince Ares, as in the later Mad King. He fought there when he was like 16 or 17 with Tywin. Tywin was there. Kevin was there. Tyget was there. Young Tyget was only 11 years old and he killed a knight from the Golden Company. And like, they this like, this kid's, this kid's a, a beast, but he died of a pox before, before, he, before the time of the books. Many other- Beasts th- aren't immune to
1: pox. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Many of the Westermen- that were there with them, like regular knights and lower-ranking lords were the core of Tywin's new army during the reigns of Castamere era when he went to war against the the reigns and and cleaned up the robber knights that had taken hold in his region because of his father's misrule. And his father was still in charge then, but Tywin took upon himself to take those battle-hardened veterans out and teach these robber knights a lesson or two. Among, and of course, the Red Lion, the guy he went to war with, who we detailed in the Reigns of Castamere episode, was the one in charge of the Lannister armies in the West. It was first Sir Jason, Joanna's father, but he died, and Red Lion took over after him. So they were led by this guy, led well, and then they go back home, and not long after, they end up going to war with him. So, oof, a lot of stories happening here. And then the Ironborn, of course, I mentioned, I mentioned them at the beginning, but there's a few more names here. I talked about Balon, Asha, Victarion, and Euron have all been there. The Red kraken skillful manipula- manipulation of the situation, as I mentioned. But he also cut his teeth there. This is also where he first learned fighting. He also went to other places like the Basilisk Isles and all that, but Stepstones was first. Harwin Hor, the grandfather of Hare and the Black. So in the Black built Hall. Harwin Hor is the one who conquered all that, though. The land that Heron built his castle on was conquered by his father, or his grandfather. Harwin Hor fought in the Stepstones as a sell-sale for a long time. So again, yet another important character from history getting their battle experience, their first real combat experience there. Nina adds a point here. The Stepstones make a very convenient reaving destination for Ironborn, especially in recent history, because they are relatively close to the eastern half of Westeros. It's far closer for the Ironborn to sail to than farther ports. However, because the Stepstones are foreign to Westeros, there's no prohibition against reaving there. Ironborn won't get in trouble for attacking ships there, at least not with Westerosi officials. And there's no local authority to do anything about it. So there you
1: go. I wonder if Davos had any experience there. I wonder Hmm. if that's... More pirate I mean, haven than smuggler I'm haven, but pirates got to move their product. There was
2: a heated debate you're going to read in the comments in the chat okay. about whether Davos had any pirating experience, whether he was just a smuggler, what really is the difference between a pirate and a smuggler. I do think there is a difference. Oh, and yeah. I will oh, note definitely. that Davos was said to come up under Roro Horus, Ru- who was a smuggler and a pirate. And so maybe in his youth, he, he did have some exposure to the Stepstones in a pirating context.
0: But I don't um, know that I wouldn't guess that he when he was in charge of his own ship ever did any piracy. I wouldn't guess yeah. that. Yeah. But I would guess yeah. but I definitely I would agree that he was part of piratical endeavors as a crewman when he was young before he I mean he wasn't a good guy. He wasn't a bad, necessarily a bad guy when he was young, but he wasn't a, a great man. He, that's something that changed for him in later life, maybe becoming a father and Stannis' justice, these other things changed him, just getting older.
1: Maybe part of why you may maybe he switched from pirate to smuggling, like he realized that there are ways to make money outside the law without killing and stealing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm, just sure. being a middleman for the product that the pirates steal or whatever. Maybe he's still supporting them. Maybe there's still like an argument that he's not truly yeah. being moral, but at least he's not personally killing people.
0: Yeah. I mean, and he's he's got a fondness for Salador and Salador's got a fondness for him. They're kindred spirits in a lot of ways. So you can see the overlap between like their their lifestyles and things they're good at sailing. I mean, they're sailors. So that's that's the yeah. simplest way to put it. What they do with that is somewhat very different. But
2: I prefer to you know. call them seamen.
0: Seamen, they are seamen. <laughs> yes. It is funnier to call them seamen. <laughs> of course, it wasn't just the battles and war experience for these men. And in, in the case of Damon, the stepstones continued to be a part of his career even after he abandoned that kingdom. Otto Hightower would later reach out to the Triarchy and be like, "Hey, you guys hate Damon." Why don't you ally with us? And uh, well, that story will play out on its own, but it's important to point you in that right direction here. I think we can call the Stepstones like a board for the Game of Thrones to be played on. It's a place designed to keep on generating conflict. So many people have incentive to control it, but pretty much all of them would prefer it to remain uncontrolled by anyone but themselves. So you have this weird parody situation where it's like, I want to control it, but I would rather no one have it than one of my enemies have it. Anytime someone tries to take it, they have incentive to stop them. to like everyone gangs up on the one trying to gain control over it. <laughs> and, then, and no one's possibly powerful enough to stop all the other regional powers from stopping them. so
1: many people are strong enough to get it, but not strong enough to hold it from everyone. And everyone is motivated to not let anyone else have it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting (laughs) dynamic.
0: Right? Yeah, it's super interesting. George George has done well by creating this this conflict zone that has been a conflict zone for so long. Of course, for so many people to gain experience there, it also means a lot of people have to die there. You can't have battle and war experience without a lot of deaths. Cersei insists she's right about the cost of losing the Game of Thrones. So in this case, yeah, she's probably right again. I'm going to give Cersei some credit. Notable deaths in the Stepstones. Let's we'll talk about that for a minute. Now, Prince Aemon, remember, that wasn't in the Stepstones. That was Tarth. So technically, that was different. Kragus Crab Feeder, though. Yep. Red Kraken's uncle. Maybe, maybe less notable since we don't even know his name, but, but the Red Kraken gained his nickname, the Red Kraken, by avenging his uncle's death. So it's still a pretty important anecdote. Daron Valerian, meaning the son of Sir Vaymond and father of Daenerys. So Vaymond is going to be in the show. Daron was killed there in one of the conflicts there. His ship sank.
2: Yeah, D- Vaymond has been cast in the show, so we really know he's in it.
0: And as I said, Sir Jason Lannister, father of Joanna, died during the War of Nine Penny Kings there. But not just him, Lord Ormond Baratheon, who was grandfather of Robert and Rannis. 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 <laughs> Renly and Sannis. Was killed there. There's a ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was killed by Maelis the Monstrous, who was in turn killed by Barristan and Selmy, avenging his liege lord's death. So pretty epic win by Barristan there. Septon Maribald's friends were killed there. Remember Sir Goodwin, who taught Brienne how to fight, who taught her to to let them expend their strength and wear them down? Sir Goodwin, one of his object lessons was, I had a friend who was the best in the yard. He beat everyone, and then war came to the Stepstones, and he didn't finish his opponent off. He hesitated, and his opponent took that brief moment to stab him, and and that's what he said. It's like, and all that strength and courage and prowess in the yard means nothing if you hesitate. And that's what Brienne remembers that when she fights those brave companions and she kills Pig and Timmy. And she's like, see, I didn't hesitate. And it's, it's a real rah-rah moment. But Sir Goodwin's friend, thats he died there. That's, he said, war came to the step." He does not even mention the Nine Penny Kings, but war came to the Stepstones. And there's really nowhere to no, no war it could be. <laughs> it's, the era leaves no doubt. Like, what is it, Brienne's... Sir Goodwin, like, 200 years old or something? No, it had to be that.
1: Something we'd look at sometimes is if you do a search of ice and fire for stepstones or whatever topic we're on, like, how many times it appears, where it's appearing. And I, I feel like a lot of these foreign areas get mentioned a lot in the beginning and then it dwindles, but the stepstone's the other way around. It's mentioned a little in the beginning, but it comes up more and more in sword and dance. Yeah, and like, that.
0: he meant, it's, it's, well, it's interesting because Stannis mentioned, I think George maybe hadn't given it the name early on. Like, he clearly had designed it, but, like, a lot of things, maybe the name... Wasn't there? Because Stannis gives out orders to send those letters out. The letters that my brother's kids aren't his letter, right? And he orders Davos and other men to deliver them all over the place. He describes sailing around the Broken Arm to get to some of the ports beyond that. And he he may have George may have had him had to do over again he may have said sail through the stepstones it's not inaccurate that is the broken arm people still call it that but I think most people would say that's sailing through the stepstones at this point because that's what the cinnamon wind did that's the exact same route they took for example
1: Dennis might not though he might be a little bit more particular and specific you're right. about using the exact right word for the exact right location he is you
0: know? a uh, grammar and- uh, stickler yeah
1: but but anyway, I I, I remember that brand bit there from when I was reading through all the appearances of the stepstones that that memory of her trainer and that fighter and he I think he he had like swept the legs of opponent and had him dead to rights but paused and then the guy pulled a dirk and yeah. stabbed him
2: yeah
0: yeah that's a good anecdote it's sad but I mean good as in well written and meaningful it really sticks out.
1: Yeah, and, and stuck out in Brienne's mind, too. It sticks out in hers and ours, you know. You're
0: right, you're right. George did it again. He'd done it again. What are the common folk, though? We, we don't know much about them. What do they think about war coming to the Stepstones? Like, I mean, it's probably, again, just Jorah's take. They would rather just be left alone. This is playing the Game of Thrones. And the Stepstones, it sounds like they get fewer reprieves than most. Like, a lot of these remote locations in Westeros might actually sit out a lot of the wars. They may be remote enough that that a lot of the war doesn't touch them. I mean, probably not if you live in the Riverlands, but some spots, maybe remote areas of the Reach. I don't know. There's probably some spots that remain untouched. But Stepstones, just constantly back and forth. Very little reprieves. You can see why if Nymeria ships came, a lot of people would be like, yeah, I would like to go with you to no, Dorn and now, yeah. not live here anymore? <laughs> yeah, it was
2: someone in the chat asked if there was a non-pirate population in the Stepstones. And I was like, well, depends on what time period you're talking about, how big the population would be. Because right after the Reinar left some people there, then yeah, there was a significant non-pirate population. But probably, I'm guessing, uh, within a couple hundred years, pretty decimated, I I would guess.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too.
1: That's something I wonder about is when, you know, they talk about the ironborn reaving and the stepstones, how much of that is him landing on an island and attacking a town versus... Patrolling the waters for merchant ships coming through.
2: I would guess right, like, more I, of that.
0: I guess more of the latter, or ta- yeah.
2: But that there there are like pirate enclaves. They talk about like so they maybe are attacking other pirates on land as well, like and and all their prisoners.
0: Asha specifically says that she says at one point she says like I was in the Stepstones to steal some trinkets from the Lycene pirates. So she was there specifically to target other pirates, which and she says it so matter of factly. It must be a normal Ironborn thing to do. They're like, hey. They're weaker pirates than us. We prey on all other. Yeah. So they see themselves as the top of the food chain there.
1: I can imagine there might be some small population with some yeah. bar or, or hostel or whatever that where pirates go to stay for reprieve and then the people who run that have an orchard that so yeah. they have apples and a pig to whatever but. there
2: is that, but then that gets attacked and there's none of that for one generation and then there is again. Yeah. Like so I, I think it is very dependent on time and and whether that's been like destroyed. Pirates
0: want a place to go drink and, and have sex workers and they're not gonna destroy that because they need and they need a. Place place to sell their black market goods like the Dithraki aren't going to destroy the slave markets because they want to use the slave markets it's a similar concept but, but, but-
2: then the quote I think you're about to reach Sean, even brings this up the idea that okay well maybe the pirates won't disturb that but then at some time the government is going to come disturb that yep. so there's going yep. to be like upheaval and things are going to get shaken up every yeah. couple generations regardless
1: there, like there might be some core community, if you will, that caters to the pirates. That Maybe the pirates won't attack. They recognize it's good for them for to be there. But that community over generations might grow. They have kids. They spread out. Someone gains a little power or wants some rules or to hold. And then like you said, Ashay, eventually it might get big and prosperous enough that the pirates are like, you know what? especially a young new pirate. I don't care what these other pirates are doing. I'm attacking these yeah. people. They've got goats and sheep and liquor and money built up and and so then like you said it they might not kill everyone, but they might decimate it and then it grows back and it might sway over time. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: This is definitely something portrayed well on that we mentioned it earlier, the show Black Sails they showed Black sales. Yeah, Port Royal and or Port Royal and how it was a pirate haven and they had like a lot of industry and Goods and there were some some strong people that kept a sense of order. Like there's certain things you just don't do. It wasn't like they weren't like a government, but they definitely kept certain things from happening so that the whole thing could keep going.
1: But it was still not particularly stable, right? Or- yes trustworthy yes. or whatever else it, you it know? didn't it like feel maybe like better than time. total chaos but yeah. it was
0: not yeah it didn't scream longevity that's for sure yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially with governments actively wanting to destroy them it's like well it's only, it like the british really care about this like they're a little busy fighting the spanish back on literally the other continent back on the other side of the atlantic but if they ever do send in a, a severe a serious army that's they're not going to stand up against ships of the line like these massive war fleets yeah I also don't want to attract too much attention for that reason. They're like, we don't want to be so much of a problem that they come in. But anyway, yeah, this does build up very nicely to our next section, which is called Outlook, the Outlook of the Stepstones Moving Forward and in Current Times, how it might play a role in the story. Let's start off with this nice, beefy quote.
1: The wars amongst the Tyrosh, Lys, and Mir have not only fueled the births of the free companies in the disputed lands, but have, have brought about the formation of fleets of pirates and seaborne mercenaries as well, cell sails ready to fight for whoever will pay. Most are based in the Stepstones, the isles that dot the narrow sea between the Broken Arm and the eastern coast. These pirate fleets make any journey through the Stepstones treacherous. It is said that the swan ships of the Summer Isles sometimes avoid the, sea, the Stepstones entirely, risking the deep sea rather than chancing an attack, an attack by Corsairs. Others, with less skill at sea, the vessels less fit for the deep ocean, have no choice. These pirate dens, when they grow too volatile and numerous, are sometimes swept clean by the fleets of the Archons of Tyrus or the Triarchs of Lantis or even the Sea Lords of Bravos.
0: But they always manage to return. Yeah, they're not... They're not addressing the root causes here. Maybe they can't. But yeah, it's just like a reset. It's like, this room's going to get dirty again, but if we clean it up, it'll take a while to get this dirty again. And then that mean, in during that window, the piracy will be less than it was. And then we'll just have to rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. So it makes a good place to hide for people like Asha considers fleeing there from Deepwood Mott when she's like, well, I can't go back to the Iron Islands and be with my SEAL, the husband that married my SEAL proxy. And Euron's there, and yeah, so where will I go? She's like, maybe I could go to the Sepstones. We saw that Mirish faction flee there during the, the Mirish bloodbath. And of course, the Rhoynar have settled there. So there's plenty of pockets of people there that may or may not still be there. But yeah, lots of hiding spots if you know where to go. Let's talk about current plots. Stuff that's more actively happening. Here's a great quote, one of my favorites, from Arianne 1 in The Winds of Winter. It's a dialogue reporting from House Talland of Ghost Hill.
2: These swords now hold most of Cape Wrath and half the stepstones. We hear talk of elephants in the rainwood.
1: Elephants? Arion did not know what to think of that. Are you certain? Not dragons?
2: Elephants, Lady Nymele said firmly. And krakens off the broken arm, pulling under crippled galleys, said Velina. The blood draws them to the surface, our maester claims. There are bodies in the water. A few have washed up on our shores. And that's not half of it. A new pirate king has set up on Torturer's Deep. The Lord of the Waters, he styles himself. This one has real warships. Three deckers, monstrous large. You are wise not to come by sea. Since the Red Wine fleet, pass through the stepstones, those waters are crawling with strange sails all the way north to the Straits of Tarth and Shipbreakers Bay. Meermen, Valentines, Lyseni, even reavers from the Iron Islands. This
0: section of the book is also where Young Teyrathalin brings up her dragon dreams. So it has a this this quote, and combined with that, is is like the Dornish version of Koran Halfhand saying, "The trees have eyes again. Old powers waken. You got krakens rising up. You got new pirate king. You got red wine fleet. This and that. You got different strange ships and sails. You got reavers from yeah. It's like it's like that with a little less supernatural to it, but the krakens are there to make keep it in that range.
1: I haven't read the Arian chapter. This is a, a chapter released from the future book, yeah, right? Yeah. So I retract my earlier statement about alleged pirate uh, <laughs> Orane Waters. It seems pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Less alleged, yeah. Who,
0: who else has these real warships? Like, it doesn't make any sense to Lord me. of the Waters yeah.
1: with three ships. Yeah, yeah. And his name
0: is Orane Waters. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's it's him. Also, this is another chance to talk about Krakens. So I, of course, jumped on that. It's the second time this episode. We had that virus report that Tywin dismissed earlier. It says that they're off the broken arm of Dorne, but that's the same thing as saying they're in the Stepstones. The broken arm is right there in that path of the Stepstones. So the first Kraken mentioned up around the fingers, and we have a Kraken down here in the Stepstones. So it's, it's a pretty big range. Krakens are around. That's certainly a setup of some kind, and we know they like blood. She also mentions metaphorical krakens there, talking about the ironborn. And, well, that's where Victarion took the iron fleet before splitting them in three. He went to the Stepstones and then sent one squadron south to go along the Basilisk Isles, one to go along the Stepstones in the southern coast, and one to cut out over the ocean, open ocean. And this might be what they're talking about. They've seen these sails. But also, Euron's ships are all over the place, reaving with impunity because there's no one to stop them right now. And so they're probably referring to that as well. And that, that fits a little better with the strange sails because they, they would recognize Greyjoy sigils, but Euron's new sigil was unfamiliar to them on the cinnamon wind and would be unfamiliar to a lot of these folks as well. They haven't had time to learn what the hell that is. like, what is this raven, red, black eyeball thing?
1: I wonder if that horn that yeah.
0: they I
1: wonder if that's what brought those Krakens.
0: Could be the one that the Celtigars supposedly them, have, you know, mm-hmm. or the dragon horn, one or both. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for the possibility of Krakens. But elephants were mentioned there, too. And that's really interesting because we talked about the ship elephant at the beginning of this episode, the one w- that was enslaving wildlings and maybe got stuck or who knows. And is a, perhaps a portal or an idea for how Danny can learn about what's going up in the north with slavery Salador-san is now back there. He abandoned Stannis, got tired of waiting for his money, lost a lot of ships to Storms. Speaking of Storm, Edric Storm isn't in the Stepstones, but he is in Lease. And Salador-san's men delivered him there. So Salador-san knows where Edric is, and now he's no longer an ally. That, that could be relevant. He also calls himself the new prince of the Narrow Sea. So it's like Damon was king of the Narrow Sea, so the is still... He's sort of restoring that old title, just calling himself that. Nina suggests another possibility that if, if Salador is the new big power there, or maybe Waters is, or one of the big powers there, one of them may have taken that elephant ship, the one, the limping home to Lease, and would then know what's going on there, would have additional information about what's happening beyond the wall through those survivors. And that could go a lot of different ways. It's so really something to keep an eye on. That information could spread to a lot of different places and could be really relevant when Danny passes through the area depending on how things may or may not have changed by then. It's also possible Salvador has captured some actual elephants. We have the Valentine fleet that delivered the Golden Company got scattered and went all over the place. Who knows if they all made it, right? And maybe some of them were taken by pirates. Now, not the best idea to attack a ship full of golden company of warriors (laughs) but Mm -hmm. maybe you capture a supply ship that just has like food and an elephant or two i don't know they're not all packed to the brim with warriors i wouldn't think so and it would be a nice little parallel because oakenfist when he got his nickname oakenfist he captured a ship that had an elephant that was intended for the sea lord of bravos and he brought it back to king's landing and was like i got an elephant so (laughs) this whole elephant thing keeps coming around. Nina suggests it would be interesting if Daenerys rescues and frees these women and children. Again, it's women and children. I didn't. I don't think I clarified that before. The people at Hardhome, the men were sending their women and children to the Lysene because they had no food. They're like, "Well, our people are starving," and the Lysene were like, "We'll take them to a good place." Now we won't. We'll enslave them. But the free folk were desperate, didn't have a choice. They were willing to believe because they didn't have many other options. Daenerys could break these chains. She could even break those boom chains <laughs> between the, the <laughs> Stepstones if those are still there. That would be a new type of chain for her to break. But this is another thing that it seems like something that's going to happen. One way or another, this is going to play out. She's also just not going to be a fan of this, the Stepstones pirates because they all engage in slavery. Even despite this one example of the, the lysine ship, there's just all the pirates of the Stepstones seem to be slavers. So... Danny will not take kindly to that. So what will she do? I don't know. But it's another. It's also another little as a side note. It's another contrast between her and Stannis. Stannis totally willing to employ people that do stuff like this, and where Danny would would not. I think.
1: I was going to ask Salador San? You think he's mixed up in slave trade? Mm, I do. Has to be.
0: He's kind of like Illyrio. It's like Illyrio's like, oh, there's no slavery in Pentos, but Danny, but Tyrion's like, these are slaves. <laughs> like these are basically slaves. Like these people, he's gone. yeah. Like they're they're all, they're for all intents. It's the same as like that semantic debate we've, well, it's not really a debate because we agree on it. <laughs> it's just different ways of, the word slave isn't used, but it's pretty much slavery.
1: I wonder if she, maybe he'll like, assuming the paths lead toward them joining forces, if he'll have to renounce slave trade yeah. to join her.
0: I, that's the next point here. Great take, because if these pirates who are powerful enough to just not be swept over by Danny, Danny just won't just annihilate them and that be the end of it. They won't be able to ally with her. She won't want to be their friend. So, who will they ally with? Aegon? Euron? The Lannisters? I don't know, but somebody, they won't just die. They won't just be like, oh, well, she's going to kill us. That's all we can do about it. They'll probably try to seek allies or. And Danny's got enemies, so it won't be hard for them to be like, hey, you don't like her. She's coming for us. Let's team up. It should be. Fairly straightforward. There's going to be a lot of people that don't like her. I mean, there's already a lot of people who don't like her. So,
2: Well, she does still have her dragons. so yeah, a lot I of mean, people might be uh, convinced that weren't otherwise. That's true.
0: That didn't stop people from fighting Damon, though, and he had yeah. an adult dragon, oh, yeah, but you right. That's true. It is well. possible. Some of them certainly will be turned off by the notion, the notion of fighting dragons.
2: Yeah, I feel like there's <laughs> got to be a, a, a not insignificant portion of pirates who are like, Yeah, no, I don't really want to sell people that bad. Yeah. (laughs) This isn't worth me getting roasted. I'm just going to sit this one out.
1: It's also worth noting that a lot of pirates... They, they're not always just these evil people that want to go out and kill. Yeah. A lot of them are in a desperate situation. A lot of them are conscripted into it. A lot of them have one big success and then retire from it. So you, you're you going to have a range some of Some pirates,
2: Sean, just are tired of their wife and their wealthy <laughs> land holdings yeah. and yeah. they want to become the some gentleman pirate. Yeah, they just want adventure. <laughs> some <laughs> yeah. of them have
0: silly names like Steed Bonnet. Yeah. <laughs> I knew
2: I would find some opportunity to bring up Our Flag <laughs> Means Death to me. And I
0: Our flag means I'm scared of cats.
1: (laughs) 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 My point is that I can see a lot of pirates are like, sure, we'll abandon slave trade. We don't really even do that anyway, or we don't care about that Uh, anyway. So we got sucked into it, or et et cetera, et cetera. I can see a lot of them within the pirates, there's going to be, they're not, uh, what's the word? Monotonous, homogenous, uh, a monolith. Give them another way to make,
0: give them an opportunity to make a living another way, and they might, some of them might take it. Yeah.
1: Right. If they, especially if some of them might even feel more secure or, or like some like Davos, you know, I'm so sure about what they're doing, but they're borderline prisoner or just bonded with the men on the ship with them, even if they don't like the mission of the captain. But if they have a new mission, if they have a new leader, if Danny says, hey, I will lead you into war. I will make you captains in my navy. You will get the spoils of victory. Like, okay, yeah, this is great. They would be like,
2: hey, we can get along with some of these Dothraki in terms of like, <laughs> yeah, ethos. Yeah, so, yeah, but, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know.
0: So, yeah, it's really interesting because there's a lot of factions in this area. It's going it's to all be like Danny when she comes through, it'll be like maybe kicking the nest, a nest that's already buzzing. And people are going to have to f- find new allies and sort this all out. If Danny collects more allies that
1: used to be slavers, the Dothraki, Salador, that's saying, true.
0: You're right, Jorah Mormont. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, on and on. As a theme, as a pattern here.
0: Yeah, she she might be okay with former slavers, but you cannot still be slaving. Yeah, that's that's a, that's right. a pretty yeah. a fair way to put it. She's willing to accept, give mercy to those who who change their ways. I think Nina also points out, funny referring to Oran Waters because he's a Valarian bastard. So, Daemon Targaryen's daughter, Bela, married Oakenfist and Okenfist became Lord Velaryon, and his it's his descendants that rule. So, Orane is probably a descendant of Oakenfist and Daemon, and obviously Bela as well. So that's neat. So they all, and all, they always go back to the stepstones. <laughs> that's family, <laughs> and the Golden Company as well. As I said, the Golden Company is there. That means some of them might still be on some of the stepstones when Danny comes through. They, they may have all been ported over to the mainland by then. But that's another interesting thing. They're there again, like they were during the War of the Nine Penny Kings. So George is maybe playing with this history repeating itself. Not very far in the in, in the future, only 40 years after the last Blackfire Rebellion, aka the War of Nine Penny Kings. Now, so who can shut down trade there? Who of all these forces would stop it, like would, would cause the starvation or cause these issues to, to become worse? The Golden Company can't do it. Even though they're on the islands, they, can't, they don't have ships, so it's not going to be them. They may, they may help an effort like that or be affected by it, but I don't know that they have the incentive to, and I don't think they can. Euron could. I mean, he doesn't have his ships there now, but he certainly has a navy that could do that if he wanted to, and he did name the Stepstones during the King's Move when he's like listing off all the places he wants to conquer. That was specifically named by him. Salador San maybe could as well. Maybe not, though, given his was weakened by all those storms and all that, though maybe he's regained a lot of his power. I mean, pirates take ships and add them to their fleet. And who knows? I don't know how strong he is right now. Maybe Salador and Orin Waters team up. Maybe Euron gets Salador and Orain on his side. Maybe they join Danny. I don't know, but there's a lot of, like, they got to do something. I don't think they'll remain independent. So which way will they fall? Which, who will they join? Really interesting, open question. I'm open to theories here.
1: I'd like- It doesn't seem the current course, but Victarion... Yeah, if has he to returns. Wear all to do it. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. Like he may, it may be her. It's yeah. probably his ships that Danny's bringing his her army on. Um, whether he's still <laughs> captaining them, <or> yeah. <laughs> whether they're his ships still or not. <laughs> we yeah. got
2: Cersei's reaction to seeing someone who looks like Arian Waters. So I, I have to wonder what Danny would think when she sees him. That's if right. she would be a little biased towards S- him. Cersei
0: thought he was very handsome. Yeah, I
2: feel like <laughs> Danny might. Uh, like him based on looks but that's true that's true
0: she won't be dumb enough to give him to give him a bunch of ships though yeah. <laughs> like, you've got your ships i'm not giving you any more than that uh. <laughs> and yeah so orain by himself couldn't shut down trade through the whole step so he only has 10 ships right now maybe he's added to that but but again he could make the problem worse or join with one of the bigger players and and give them a lot more firepower now danny could shut down trade in the Stepstones. I really don't see why she would do it. In fact, I think she'd be more likely to open it up, especially if she is informed of how much damage it causes to human people all over, human people? To people all over the region if they're if shutting down the Stepstones causes additional starvation. That's something that she would want to stop. Again, breaking those chains. Lots of possibilities there. So there's a lot of players in this region. A lot of it's really important. Danny hasn't gotten there yet, but she's going to. Tyrion's input might matter. Like he, He'll have some say on what happened in the Stepstones. He'll remember his family's stories about fighting on the Stepstones. It's not something Tyrion's thought about. But again, his father, two of his three uncles, and a lot of just Lannister people fought on the Stepstones a generation or two before him. He's heard stories. He's heard people talk about it.
1: When outside his family, he's likely to be aware of it. He reads a lot of books. He studies history. Good point, yeah. But when his family was also involved, it's even more likely to, for him to have concern and insight.
0: Yeah, so that that could be something that comes up and be, and is very interesting for us. And lots of moving parts. It's one of the cooler dynamic regions of the, of the world right now. Last little point here. Theoretically, if someone did it right, if we look ahead to the end of the series, may, if we hope for a better world at the end of the series and like signs that certain things are going to change for the better. If someone did it right, what we saw with the kingdom of the three daughters, the triarchy, what almost worked there, they couldn't keep it going, but they had the right model, at least partly with the whole idea of pay a little tax, spend that tax on anti-piracy, collects a modest profit for that service that's a fair exchange in my mind. I think a lot of y'all would agree that's a fair deal for for the region. Of course, the problems are is there's these powerful pirate interests that could just infiltrate or bribe or just... The authorities become part of the problem in a scenario like that, where, like you said, Sean, it's, it's worse when the cop robs you than when some random person. This is this this could become that kind of situation. It's it, that is what happened with the kingdom of the three daughters. But if done right, and maybe it just can't be done, right? Maybe there's just too much opportunity for corruption. Maybe there's just too it's too hard to set this up, possibly. I don't know. But it's a lot of the same things that happen in the real world have to be handled. All the kind of things that modern ports have to struggle with, smuggling of contraband. Sometimes some, some things are contraband that maybe we're like, ah, who cares? But there's human trafficking. There's huge amounts of dangerous drugs. I mean, things that like you take a small dose and it could kill you or mess you up permanently. Like, things like that. Toys that didn't have the proper tax applied to them. I'm not talking about stuff like that that's just a government problem. Then that, yeah, That's fair to tax those things to a certain degree. But that's not a real societal problem, right? That isn't causing deaths and people to starve and things like that. So almost nowhere north of the Stepstones is slavery allowed. So it could be set up as like a blockade. You have to pass through the stepstones to take enslaved people to places where slavery is allowed. What if it was like a police zone where like a checkpoint, like a border control where like they're just looking for slaves? Like, nope. If you got slaves on your ships, you're not getting through here. We check every ship for slaves. If you got slaves, you're under arrest, blah, blah, blah. We return the people to their homes, et cetera. It could be a place for good, (laughs) right? Pirate defending against pirates rather than enabling them. A place where no slave passes through without being freed. It could be a place for good. Maybe that's where the series will leave it. Uh, Maybe. Don't hope for that, but I could see it, (laughs) right? Do you have anything to add to that, Sean? How's that sound? Does that theory land with you?
1: Yeah, I, I could see Danny getting mixed up in some conflicts political and or military and the step zones with this mission of limiting slavery in some way and, uh, and i think that's maybe in on some level like realistic or even likely but it it gets my gears turning about the nature of this whole story I don't see how it can be summed up very quickly or shortly you know, or, or succinctly, especially when you think about how the different sort of real world parallels a lot of times we find in this epic that Martin is filling out. Most of the real world parallels that we get were multi generational things. Yeah. And so, I just think a lot about the, the nature of how this story is going to end. I I don't see any of these things happening in Danny's lifetime. Like he, I think there's, he's got to find some way to find some sort of success or stop point that just is not going to be complete. It's not going to be settled, whether it's in these characters' lives or the politics of the land. So... Does she get caught up in a zones and find some happy ending, limiting slave trade, and never gets to Westeros? <laughs> I could, maybe. Does George bypass that somehow and she just gets to Westeros to take the throne? Like, there's certain trajectories or, or expectations that we have for this story that might not be where Martin goes. Yeah, you know, might not. Got, it might be
0: some stuff done off page, maybe something that's just handled with a couple lines of of description rather than something we see close up. But one thing I would like to add as a f- somewhat closing point here one thing that's really compelling about the stepstones is it's set to be very important in a song of ice and fire and it's really important in house of the dragons so like both of these big stories that are in our pantheon of of current options and big big productions are making this an important region or not making, are making. It is an important region. I so. guess
2: it would come up in the Corley's Velaryon show and in the Nymeria show, too.
0: <laughs> Very true. You're right. Definitely the Nymerians. And how could Corley's not? How, yeah, he's going to pass And I guess Dunkin' yeah. Egg
2: would get there one day, but probably not. <laughs>
0: we Might have but, to sail through it and face some stuff. Yeah, because we figure they'll go to Essos at some yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for it to come back. Basically, every... Name any possible future production. It's like, yeah, I can see the Stepstones being involved in that. Yep, yep. House of the Dragon, Mm -hmm. A Song of Wasted Fire, Dunkin' Egg, Nymeria, Sea Snake. Even Y.T. could (laughs) probably not. Yeah, probably
2: not Y.T. They would be trading
0: through it, but I don't know if it would become relevant to the actual story. It might get a mention, but what do they call the Stepstones? They would have a name for it. (laughs) The Step Gems. Hmm. The Stepstone Emperors. The Gemstones. (laughs) The Righteous (laughs) Stepstones. Well, any final thoughts, Ashea or Sean?
2: Tell us who the hero of the Stepstones is.
0: Okay. I want to
2: know the trivia answer because you didn't write the answer. I
0: didn't. I left it. (laughs) I didn't put it there for y'all. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's a trick. It's sort of a trick question because the trivia answer is Oakenfist. He was the hero of the stepstones. It's funny because he got two nicknames in the same battle. He got the name Oakenfist for destroying a huge four decked a ship that was the Sea Lord's flagship. But so he gained the nickname Oakenfist for that ramming maneuver, but he was the hero of the stepstones for winning that battle, even though it was a controversial battle because it wasn't it didn't go the way he he didn't accomplish his objectives. He won a great victory, but he set them up for a bigger problems. So that's something we'll talk about another day, but
1: I was wondering if it was Barristan. I was going to ask if this person has multiple nicknames or monikers or whatever.
0: I it's funny because I thought of that. I was like, I wonder if someone's going to guess Barristan because he killed Meleys. It actually occurred to me, but nope, it's Alan Oakenfist, the bastard Valarian who became a real Valarian. We'll we'll probably see him in House of the Dragon too, not with a large role, but he's well maybe a large role later in the season yeah not not
2: in season one he would be
0: a teenager in season one so probably maybe we'll see him though maybe we'll, but probably not he probably just hasn't been cast yet
2: yeah I would, I would assume they would not cast that role yet
0: yeah but uh, certainly going to play a role so that'll be cool you know, maybe season two or, or later so yeah that's that we mentioned uh, some of our other episodes we mentioned the War of the Nine Penny Kings episodes There's it's a two-parter so check those out uh, those were done with Stephen Atwell I mentioned the Red Kraken episode a bunch of times, this one. That's a Patreon slash bonus episode. You can acquire that by signing up, by subscribing, basically. And I mentioned the Reigns of Castamere episode. I mentioned the Nymeria episode, Mother Rhoyne, and the 10,000 Ships episode. We still haven't finished that series. The the final little portion takes place in Westeros and Dorne, so it's on the list...
2: I
1: can't
0: wait. Yeah, it'll be really good when we do it. I can't wait either. But Lomas Longstrider is first. And next week, as I said, we've already done the voting. Next week, the winner of the poll was Casterly Rock. So we're going to do an episode on Casterly Mm. Rock that'll include comparisons to the Rock of Gibraltar.
2: Which I've actually asked George about. We have an actual quote from George responding to a question from me with information about Casterly Rock.
0: That'll be fun. And winches. And winches, yeah. And we'll, of course... Keep having polls for future episodes and those of y'all who sign up on Patreon can participate in the polls and the rest of you will hear about it when the polls have their results. Thank you all. We appreciate you coming live. Sean, what's up?
1: I have one slightly off topic final thought. Go, go for it. I hope everyone's watching Better Call Saul, the best show on TV right now. <laughs> yeah, yes, Better it Saul, is the best so show on TV.
2: It is and really Sean, good. as you see, as he pointed in the background, if you're listening, Sean has two new posters behind him. One is for Better Call Saul, and the other is Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I like sure. how it just over Sean's shoulder, it just says perspective.
0: Just... Yeah, it also says hysterical. <laughs>
2: and laugh out
0: loud. <laughs> yeah. That guy's hysterical.
1: I mean, you can tell that Larry David's looking at a glass of water that's
0: half. Was that <laughs> Rita's finger?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's good. Oh, that was you. Okay. I, was, I couldn't see your arm. That's really funny. <laughs> okay. So thanks for, for those of y'all who came out live. Appreciate that. Adds a lot to the discussion when we have y'all's feedback as we're recording. But of course, we also appreciate those of y'all who catch the, the replay or the edited podcast version. Thanks to Nina for her assistance, her valuable notes. Check out goodqueenalley.tumblr.com. Thank you to our patrons and other supporters who provide financial assistance. It's impossible to do this as frequently as we do without y'all's support. Thank you to Joey, Jesse, Kevin, and Michael for the music and video and maps. You guys are amazing. And our mods who help the discussions flow and stay friendly on Facebook, Discord, and the spaces like that. Ice and FireCon YouTube is sharing panels. So you can also find some, you can also follow A Geek Saga. That's uh, one of Tara's accounts. On Spotify,
2: the on, on the podcast, she released Nailed It or Failed It, which I wanted to highlight because Sean himself was on that panel, along with Game of Owns and Terra and other folks. But that one is not on the Ice and FireCon YouTube. It is on podcast form, but they have released, like, Vengeance and A Song of Ice and Fire and an episode and a panel on uh, The phrase, the YouTube channel. And they will continue to release more panels, and we will, of course, share it when they release the ones that Aziz and I did. Yeah.
1: Also the musical. Yeah, Queens, yeah that's
2: true. Right? We yeah. plugged that last week, but we can't plug it enough. Yeah. It was really good. It's not on the Ice and Fire Con YouTube. That's on Westeros Musicals YouTube. So
0: But if you can all, if you can't find it, just come to one of our groups and we'll help you. Well someone yeah. will or we will <laughs> or you can always email us. We definitely want you to watch it. It's so good.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, well anyway folks, we'll be back next week with Casterly Rock and more great times. We'll have, have a world. live
2: studio audience. What's that? We'll have a live studio audience next week.
0: We will? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we will. We'll have a live studio audience next week. That'll be fun. We'll tell you about that when it happens.
2: Yeah, well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll let you all keep wondering who is going to be in our live studio audience. <laughs> it won't Sean, be Sean doesn't even know.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I might get the inside track after this. Yeah, I think you yeah, will. To tell you. So, okay, folks, <laughs> until
0: next week, you know what to do. Valar, reread us.